Business and Buckets fam, we are live, episode 59, I can't believe we're almost at 60, got a little bit of a a raspy horse voice still from Vegas, it's Thursday, that's why I'm recording it this late in the week, I could barely speak earlier in this week, and a lot of that had to do with my trip to Vegas, I'll do a quick little recap of my wild crazy trip to Vegas, but first, let's talk the one and only sponsor here at Fueled or. At uh, Business and Buckets, Field Supplements. The Business and Buckets podcast is proudly sponsored by Field Supplements. If you're an elite athlete, a busy mom on the go, or in the are looking for the perfect product to suit your daily wellness needs, Field Supplements has you covered. You guys can choose from their selection of premium sports and wellness formulas backed by over 30 years of market experience. Whether you're trying to run a 4040, um, lift 400 pounds, or enjoy life for another 40 years, Field Supplements has a variety of products that align exactly to your specific goals. Head to fieldsupplements.com and use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off all products. Once again, fieldsupplements.com, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. So, uh, months ago, one of my best friends invited me to Vegas for the National Rodeo Finals at NRF. Said, sure, let's do it. Figured I'd make it a business trip, go interview uh, Josh Moore at Field Supplements uh, and get another business interview. Uh, great interviews, amazing interviews that I got coming for you guys here in the next couple weeks. I'll pound those out since we haven't had any business episodes lately, uh, but really good stories. I was inspired. I was ready to come back and kick some ass and can't wait for what 2022 has in store. Um, I flew into Vegas Wednesday, literally flew in that afternoon, did an interview it was already in the evening time after eating dinner, so I called it an early night and Thursday morning interviewed Josh Morin. I was able to enjoy the Circa Sportsbook, the new sportsbook there, Stadium Swim, everything that was involved there. If you don't know what that is, it's the, the new area right there by the Golden Nugget in Fremont, which is my favorite place to be anyways. Got a place of poker, do some gambling, didn't do very well. Um, was able to watch the Steelers' atrocious Thursday night game against the Vikings, which we'll get into later. And then on Friday, got to spend some time with my buddy and his wife. His knee was all shredded. He had torn cartilage in there. It had blown up full of fluid so he could barely walk. Uh, so that was quite the experience as usually when I'm in Vegas, I'm probably walking miles a day. Um, but was able to go watch his family do some team roping, do some rodeo stuff, had a good time. Uh, went to a cowboy saloon called Gillies in Treasure Island and that's a wild place the women there is wild just everything's in there a little wild and then Saturday the the big moment for me on the weekend UFC 269 and you know if you haven't seen fights in person just the camaraderie the people that are there everyone's on the same wavelength there to have a good time and just very respectful to the performances that they're seeing as it's almost gladiator shit we're seeing someone try to take out another person so you know as deep of a card that is, we'll break it into, but what a cool experience. I was wearing my Sugar Show sweater. Everyone was rooting me on, giving me fives. I mean, he was the most popular athlete in that building, and we had Dustin Poirier fighting. We had Amanda Nunez fighting, and I had basically my whole section just cheering on the Sugar Show. I said, if you if we see Sean knock out uh, Holian Pava in the first round, I'll buy us all shots. Bought us all shots, took a video of it. You could check it on my Instagram. Um, ended up meeting some really cool people and as the main card went on, 
I felt like I saw the thrill in Manila, one of the biggest upsets of all time. I was able to watch uh, Amanda Nunez lose to Juliana Pena. You know, that shattered all the bets that I had planned. Some good fights of the night. And then watching Dusty, Dustin Poirier and Charles Oliveira be able to grace the octagon. It was a really awesome experience. This was my second UFC Live. The previous one I went to was International Fight Weekend for my birthday weekend a couple summers ago with John Jones, the Ben Askren knockout, uh, Holly Holm versus Nunez. If I were to rate them, it's hard to say. Uh, but just the excitement of the Sugar Show, man, I had so much fun. That's why my voice is gone. I was just fucking rallied up, you know, yelling, getting everyone going. Uh, I feel like I was just, it was just a fucking good time. Uh, my friend, even though his knee was all fucked up, had a good time. His wife had a good time. And I'll definitely probably go and see the next fight that the Sugar Show has, depending on the opponent. But uh, God damn, it was a good time. Watch some football on Sunday. Um, and I'm back in action uh, just to fly out to Montana next week. So two more episodes here, uh, and then I'll have to film one in Montana. Now, let's jump into sports. There's a lot of things happening as we're nearing playoff football in the NFL. Thursday night football is going right now as I speak. And then um, uh, bowl games are starting throughout the week as well. So um, some news around the NFL. Boy, there wasn't a lack of news in the NFL uh, Las Vegas hosted the super is now hosting the Super Bowl in 2024. Um, you know, obviously driving by that thing. Uh, one of the guys that I interviewed, uh, Evan, that'll be coming up, uh, has been to some of the games. He has nothing but good things to say about it. So uh, I'm sure Vegas is going to be wild for the Super Bowl that year. Uh, Elijah Moore for the Jets headed to the IR. Uh, you know, it's not like the Jets are really in a situation to be playing meaningful games. But a young guy with their quarterback getting that connection and missing some big games to be able to build that connection and build momentum going into next season. A very devastating story on Demarius Thomas. He had passed away at 33 years old. Uh, his family had found him seizuring in the bathroom. Um, you know, there was some some new studies with Vincent Jackson with some serious CTE, another corner that had some serious CTE. Football's a rough sport. Um, it, it doesn't do well with your body, but a guy like that with, you know, such big moments, um, uh, such a good career, brutal to see, supposedly he was great within his community. So, um, you know, bless up to all the people close and family to him. Uh, but you hate to see those types of things. I mean, you know, I'm 29, I'm going to be 30 this summer. That's like me passing away in four years. I mean, that's just a wild thing to think about. I feel like life is just starting. Doors are just now opening. Um, for the Seahawks, Jamal Adams has a torn labrum. He's out for the year. You know, this is a pretty big news for them because they had put so many chips on the table with that Adams trade to be relevant within the short term. You know, they've done their part until this year. Things are starting to slip through the cracks. You add this to the piece. I do feel like a, a full-fledged rebuild is on its way for Seattle. And, um, you know, let's say Jamal Adams plays the rest of this year. It's not like that likely that they would have made the playoffs anyways, but still a very tough loss for that defense. The Texans cut Zach Cunningham as they try to become a younger squad. The Titans quickly swoop him up from uh, some middle linebacking depth. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, has been a tackling machine, a physical beast, a leader on a team. So any team he was able to grace. And I was a little bit shocked that my Steelers didn't look at him. You know, maybe they did, uh, but the Titans were able to swoop him up pretty immediately. 
Uh, Daniel Carlson having a great year for the Raiders. He signs a four-year, $18 million extension uh, to stick in the dome in the Death Star with the Raiders. I had him on my fantasy team, although I didn't make the playoffs. Cheers to that with all this COVID situation. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. But I think he's like the fourth or fifth highest paying paid kicker now. Tom Brady, another day, more records, right? Uh, he sets the record for most completions in NFL history. He's, by the end of it, probably going to have majority of records just by, you know, longevity in the league, let alone his, you know, his capabilities. Uh, but, yep, he marks down another record up onto his resume. Josh Allen trying to add to the leaderboard, you know, as we get towards the end of the season, more, more leaders, more big records. I thought this was noteworthy because he's the third QB in NFL history to hit 300 passing yards and 100 rushing yards uh, in, in a game and joining Russell Wilson and Cam Newton in doing so. And these, you know, these, this is things that you would never see in past NFL history. It's becoming more of a commonality, getting real dual threat quarterbacks into the league. Debo Samuel is the first receiver with six touchdowns, uh, running touchdowns since Lenny Moore did this in 1961. You've seen probably the memes, the gifts, wide receiver one, RB one, Debo Samuel. He's a physical specimen and a huge piece to that Niners offense. Uh, Trey Hendrickson ties Chris Jones record uh, for games with the consecutive games with the sack at nine. You know, he was a guy that bursted onto the scenes at New Orleans last year. Damn near led the league in sacks, got the fat contract and people thought, well, let's see what he can do. What is he really made of? And he's really put in a staple and been a huge part of that pass rush for Cincinnati. More records to be broken. Uh, George Kittle, the first tight end in NFL history to finish with at least 150 receiving yards and a touchdown in consecutive games. Much like Debo, you can put Kittle tight end number one, also wide receiver number one. This guy is a beast, and what he brings to the table there is insane. Uh, Justin Herbert, who's playing today, is the only player to throw for more than 30 touchdowns in his first two NFL seasons. Just showcases the capability that he has and the, the production that we've seen thus far in his early career. Some people almost forget it's only a second season. Uh, the Chiefs score against the Raiders last week, 48-9. to Quite a weird score with only three field goals. But this is the first time in NFL history this has been a final score. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, you know, such a lopsided victory with only field goals. It does make sense. For the Washington football team, as they try to scrap for the NFC East, um, Logan Thomas got further testing after, you know, a potential knee tear. And it is confirmed that he has an ACL tear. He's going to be out for the year. I don't know what it is with Washington and their tight ends, but they get these big physical guys, have all the potential in the world. They just can't stay healthy. So I couldn't imagine what the tight end coaches and, and just the coaches in general for Washington are feeling right now. Uh, D Ford confirmed to be out for the season. Obviously, D Ford has had some big seasons in his day, but is definitely a presence for the edge rush. So tough loss. Um, big news, uh, I believe, official today. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is going to be out for the regular season. He's getting six weeks out. So depending what happens with the playoffs with the Cardinals, he can return in the playoffs. But I mean, this is the guy that keeps that offensive, that offense going. So brutal news for the Arizona Cardinals after, you know, damn near a storybook season thus far for the lions, their big tight end receiver 
TJ Hawkinson out for the season after the thumb surgery. You know, it looked like he was going to play. I'm assuming with the way their season is, why put any harm where we don't need? So let's just have him be ready for next season. Tom Brady always in the news. Well, he has now determined that he is going to start signing athletes to NIL deals with his clothing line. He's wanting it to be the next Jordan line. Uh, he's already got some big names in there, uh, some Michigan players, McNac uh, Sean McNacamara and others as well. And probably the biggest news of the football week, just confirmed yesterday, Urban Meyer fired officially from Jacksonville. Uh, they'll have their offensive coordinator fill in for interim head coach. And this was before his year one of his five-year contract. Obviously, there's going to be a lot, lot of legalities uh, with the, the lawyers involved. Um, with that contract, the payout, you know, what 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 are the circumstances? And this is off the hills of former Jaguars kicker Josh Lambeau saying he was kicked in practice by Urban Meyer. I mean, to be honest, Urban Meyer is one of those uh, people coaches. He's one of those celebrity coaches. That's the way I see it. And they don't typically work out in the NFL. You know, I have always said on Business of Buckets, I don't think he makes the year. Uh, when you have a five-year contract, that's always hard, but... Anything that could happen in that season has potentially happened for them. And the person that I feel for most is uh, Mr. Sunshine, Trevor Lawrence himself, whatever you want to call him, the things that he has to go through to try to develop his own career, let alone all that turmoil and the things that he's been a part of. But, but probably the biggest benefactor to their immediate play, James Robinson, finally gets to be unleashed. Um, but there isn't a lack of available head coaches, in my opinion. There's very qualified coaches. Um, you have... Um, the offensive coordinator for the Bucks, offensive coordinator Bellamy for the Chiefs. That's you know more than deserving. I mean, there's lots of different other coaching options out here. So it'll be interesting to see if they put someone in place before the end of the year or if they wait. Um, but you know, the Jaguars def definitely, uh, you know, the fun keeps going as I guess you can say for them. So each week I've talked about doing an AFC and NFC deep dive into teams, what my thoughts are, what my projections have been, you know, kind of checking in on that and where I feel like the team is moving forward. And all this fucking hype about the New England Patriots, let's just settle the score right here. The Patriots 9-4, and four, they're coming off a bye week. They'll be playing a, the Colts team who came off the bye week as well. If you saw Hard Knocks this past week, you know, they're going through the bye week, getting preparation for this team and how serious of a game this is, how prepared that team is coming here. Um, for me, preseason, I picked the Pats to be 11-6. and six. So I was right there with their season. You know, everyone is hyping them up like they're true Super Bowl contenders. The Belichick Foundation is back. You know, they're the best team in the AFC. But if we look at it, I don't think that that's the case. I think they are a, a solid team, a better than average team. To get 11 wins, no matter what division you play in, is not easy. But the division is what it is, right? You get to play the Jets twice. You get to play the Dolphins twice. Even the Bills this year have been all over the map. I mean, most teams, you put an AFC North team in that division. You put an AFC West team in the division. What are they going to do? Um, I, I, that's kind of how I feel. It's just a, you know, a sum of their surroundings. But at the end of the day, that is the case. You know, that's what I'll say. Uh, Injury-wise, they've had their fair share of injuries like many teams this year. Um, but they are pretty healthy overall as they head towards the end of the season. The biggest things they've missed are running backs with J.J. Taylor and James White, who was a pretty pivotal piece of that offense being out. But the emergence of Ramondre Stevenson, Boomer fucking Sooner, that's eliminated a lot of that. So uh, really the things that I see as being the biggest 
you know, downfalls for them on the injury front is losing cornerback Jonathan Jones for the season. Obviously, that wasn't ideal. And letting Gilmore go, I don't think their play, you know, their level of play has increased letting him go. But obviously, they feel comfortable with it. They performed since, um, and they've been doing well since. You know, this team has developed in winning the way that I would expect and what I thought in my preseason prediction has come to, you know, conclusion. It's basic Belichick. I mean, they got good defense. They don't force Mac Jones to do too much. Even if they did, they don't have the offensive weapons to do so. And they're living through their run game with their running back by committee approach for the most part. Defensively, according to uh, PFF, again, I, I believe that's the most accurate rankings and statistics that we can get into right now. Um, but they rank number four overall, but number three against the pass, which is definitely impressive. I do believe a lot of the division has to do with that. You know, they're playing Tua. They're playing shit. They played six different Jets quarterbacks. So um, it is a situation, again, the sum of their surroundings. But um, it's still a great unit. I believe the mix of youth and the leaders and the, ex the leaders with experience in this Belichick system has made this unit as a whole. The back end of their defense is their strength. Um, their five-year player and defensive tackle from their division, you know, potential rival, but divisional team Miami, um, um, has ranked number 49 by PFF. So it's not like the interior of that defensive front is amazing, uh, but it's been solid. I didn't write his name here for some damn reason, but I know of him from my fantasy team because I have an IDP league in the playoffs. And his name is Devon Godshu, God, Godchucks. Uh, he's been playing pretty solid football. On the edge, that's really where they shine. Obviously, the addition from Baltimore and Matthew Judon has been lights out. Um, Etrich Wise Jr. has had a great season as well. And they both rank up right up in the top 50 for the edge rushers, according to PFF. And then in the back end, J.C. Jackson. We all know what J.C. Jackson's done. His interceptions through the past four years is leading the league. Um, he's balling out. He's number 11 in corners on PFF. They also have Miles Bryant that's really rise to the occasion at number 39. To have that kind of depth is huge. And then Adrian Phillips ranks as a third safety at PFF. And then obviously they've always got Mr. McCourty back there at number 20. So they're able to avoid that big play. You know, if you're going to beat the Patriots, it's going to be those intermediate gains. And uh, I definitely think Bill Belichick is okay with that. And they almost always have solid linebacking play. Much like the Steelers, you know, since the 2000s when I really started watching football, I feel like they always have big names in their linebacking core. Um, Kyle Van Noy ret returns. They always get these guys that return and ball out. He's he's number 13th ranked linebacker. They got Juwan Bentley at 16, and they've definitely missed Donta Heithauer at 31. Um, him sitting out the year of COVID coming back has helped that unit as a whole. So you got, you know, guys that have been in the Belichick system, some leaders from elsewhere in free agency, and also some of that youth performing has a solid defensive unit that we expect from the Patriots almost annually. Offensively, their line ranks number eight, and they've debatably overperformed at this point. Again, we're looking at the Jets, the Lions, the Bills defense, their, their edge rushing, not anything that like really scares you. And I bring up the division a lot because that's six games, right? Well, yeah, six games that you're playing. I mean, that's a majority of your season. Statistics are going to go up and down based on your division. Um, but their lifeblood has been their backs. You have Damon Harris. You have Ramondre Stevenson. You have Bruce Bolden. Uh, you've had other guys step up when need be. And the receivers haven't been deadly. But Kendrick Bourne has turned into their favorite target. 
And what's really surprised me about the offense is when you look at the additions of Hunter Henry and John U. Smith on paper, you know, I immediately want to thank Rob Gronkowski and the, the two tight end situation that they've had of old. And I thought that they would just live with them as like their offensive number ones. But I believe that they've been used so more in the run game in the, than in the passing game than I expected. Um, so that was a little bit of a surprise to me, but it's working out. I believe they do go two and two the rest of the season. So I'll be right on point with my prediction. Um, I do believe that they will have a first round playoff exit depending on their matchup. I think the Bills do win the next game and end up with winning the division. So that puts them most likely on the road in the wild card. Uh, again, depending on who they play, uh, if they play a beat up Ravens team or something like that, you know, the Ravens have always been their downfall and a, a team they don't want to see in the postseason. But it really depends on the matchup. But I'm pretty confident in saying this isn't going to be a team that makes a deep playoff run at this point. For the NFC, go Pack, go. The fucking Packers, 10-3 and three this far. I had predicted them to be 10-7 and seven at the start of the season. And a lot of that was um, based off their offensive line and their defense. Right, We watched that defense get gashed by big play, by big play last season. And I figured that the, the Vikings would be a little bit closer and that the, that division would be a little bit better competition-wise. Um, I do think their defense right now, it's a solid unit, but I do think it has been overperforming, and I didn't expect them to be so well-rounded as a team. I did expect a lot of their winnings to come from Devontae Adams and Rodgers, you know, almost damn near specifically, um, but that really hasn't been the case. When we look at their injuries, obviously Rodgers has this toe problem. You know, he's been dealing with it. He's been playing good football. But we still have four more football games before the postseason. You're playing in Lambeau. You know, maybe the, the cold numbs that shit and you're able to play ball. But if I'm a Packers fan, I am seriously, you know, seriously like worried about uh, our championship caliber based off that um, because that's not something you could really do. But, you know, I don't know if you've ever tried to be mobile or do things without your toe. It's definitely not nice. Um, Jair Alexander and Zadarius Smith. Probably their two biggest studs on defense are expected back as soon as next week. I think I said this last week. It's taken a little bit longer. They are involved in practice. But getting those two guys back, getting them in football shape, that's going to make a whole world of difference come postseason when we're talking about like strategic matchups, chess matchups, and what other teams want to do against their defense. Defense, But that's if they are healthy. You know, Getting onto the field is one thing, but getting into health and football playoff shape is a whole other world. Uh, they will need time to get back. We'll see what happens. They um, on the offense there without Randall Cobb. You know he he got signed back. He's been uh, entered to the IR. Um, Elgin T Jenkins got put to the IR most likely for the season. Uh, well, I want to say one or two weeks ago. Um, they had recently acquired Whitney Merciless to help um, with the linebacking core. He goes on the IR. Obviously, we remember what happened to Robert uh, Tanyan, who's been a great piece, a big physical guy to help in the run game as well. He's out for the year. So they have their fair share of injuries. Um, but as long as Zadarius and Jair get back, I feel like the injury thing will be okay. Um, they've also dealt with COVID issues, right? Aaron Jones has been out for a while, but it's allowed Dylan to really emerge onto the scene, which I believe makes our team better using a more of a committee approach. And especially in the postseason in Lambeau, Letting Dylan, you know, rake those physical runs. Letting Jones at that burst of speed hit the ground. That does make a difference. Um, really what I want to know, though, is if the Packers do win a Super Bowl, 
does Rodgers still leave the Packers? Right? They have a solid team. You think with these uh, new additions, another draft class, things are interesting. And, and can he get into a lot greener pasture in one year moving from the pack? But that's just really dependent on if they win. So it'll be fun, interesting to see. Uh, when we look at their defense, it's ranked number 10 by PFF, but number 26 against the run. They've been able to provide pressure defensively, but the run game has definitely found holes, a big reason why they signed Merciless. Um, I do think Smith's return will help here, um, but they need help up the middle. When we look at what they do have and who's been balling, Devondre Campbell is having a great year. He's ranked at number two in PFF. Kenny Clark has been consistent at number 24 right up the middle. Uh, young stud Rashawn Gary, number 11, has been a huge, huge help to that defense. I think he hasn't gotten spoke highly of en enough this year. And then Preston Smith, you know, he, he's number 15. He's been lights out. <clears throat> In the secondary, how about Rajul Douglas, number 14, a great addition that he's been to the team. Uh, Adrian Am Amos, always solid, is typical at number 18. And then they have Darnell Sa Savage having a solid season at 39 as well. As a unit, I would classify this team as holding its ground and doing enough. Um, but it's not giving those huge plays up like they were last year, right? That was really the death of this team, and it forced their offense to do so much more. But now they're getting better time of possession. They are running the ball smoothly, and they're allowing to get, you know, not give up that big play, and that's why they have 10 wins already this far. I apologize. I got to drink a lot of water. My voice... Because it's not back, I feel like it's so much more effort to talk. Um, again, that's why I, I waited till Thursday. But we here, baby. We got football. I had to talk about 269, seeing that shit in person. Ooh, that was just so much fun. And we have fights again this week. Pretty solid card for a fight night. Um, but sticking with the Packers, you know, put the brakes there. Um, they are top heavy on offense, right? They have the number one receiver, according to PFF, Devontae Adams. Um, AJ Dillon's actually number five in the run game, but the line has really missed our heart and soul. David Bakhtiari, Bakhtiari, who's potentially playing this week or next. Um, but as, as a line, they're number 16 as a unit. Um, Rogers, he's number seven. Um, obviously health at this point and key players getting healthy. That's going to make this team a legit contender, but I do consider this team a, le a legit contender. They have great home field potential. You know, they are going to make a run at this one seed, especially with DeAndre Hopkins out. So playing in Lambeau throughout the postseason is not going to be an easy task for any NFC team to do to handle that team. I do see them winning out and battling for that number one overall seed. So it's going to be fun to check out these Packers. You know, obviously my thoughts of the Packers are a lot higher than the Patriots. But hey, um, it's the NFL, baby. No one knows. We'll see. We'll see. Um, this past week I went 11 and three in picks, had a solid week. I feel like I could have done a little bit better. The fucking Panthers. I'd picked the Falcons here with you guys. Once I got to Vegas, I made all my bets. The goddamn Panthers. I thought they would just live through Cam Newton as a runner. Give it to Chuba Hubbard. That was not the case at all. And I'm shooting myself for it. But regardless, I'm 119 and 76 on the season. So still doing well in my picks. So let's talk a little bit about what's happened this past week in the NFL. And um, um, what we have in store this week as the game is going on right now. Let me, let me get a little peek. <clears throat> so 14 to 10, solid game. Um, I had a prop bet for first score touchdown. 
had Mike Williams in there. He dropped two of them. God damn, that was brutal. Um, but hey, it is what it is. It is what it is. So as you look at the standings, nothing that's really jumped out. You know, the AFC North is a fucking grind. The AFC West is a fucking grind. The NFC East is a grind, um, as we expected. And so is the NFC West, even though it's a little bit more top heavy than I would have expected. So looking at week 14, don't forget there's 18 weeks in the season. I know I've said it a bajillion times. This is the first time in NFL history that that's been done. And, uh... One more game in the NFL, man. It's not easy. You've been watching Hard Knocks. You see all these guys trying to recover. Um, the season gets to you when a lot of these guys are in their 30s or late 20s, too. I, I mean, I could only imagine. So last week, we started off with me in Vegas at Circa. Steelers, Vikings, throw 100 on the Steelers. Throw this on the Steelers. Why not? I'm in Vegas, right? Well, that sure bit me in the ass. And then they got the nerve. They had the nerve to get my hopes back up as they do just to fucking smother them in their hands. But when we look at it statistically, you know, it looks a lot closer than it should have been, but the Steelers were straight dominated. I'm not, shit you not, I fully agree with the announcers in this game. I think Dalvin Cook was running in the biggest holes I've ever seen, and that is not Steelers football. I am picking the Steelers this week. We'll get to that in a minute. But God damn, that is pathetic as an NFL team that lives with a culture and a hybrid and expectation to get the job done. I cannot imagine what the leaders in that defense said after the game. Hopefully they could turn it around. Just despite all the media, the attention of they can't do it, they're not good enough. I tell you what, this team is good enough to still make the playoffs. You know, it'll be a team that you don't want to play, but that was goddamn disgusting. So... A reason they were really in the game was Kirk. You know, Kirk's line doesn't look terrible, but he missed open shots over open shot. I mean, this could have been another two, three more touchdown difference in the game. He finished 14 to 31, which isn't great. Um, You know, he missed 17 passes to 14. He had 216 yards, two touchdowns, and two picks. It makes me wonder, when is Kirk's contract done? Let's see. I usually go to Spo Track. So he signed it. He's signed for uh, next year as well, and then he's a free agent. At 35, yeah, I don't expect him to be able to come back. He's getting a fat amount of money next year. They missed the playoffs again. Yeah, I mean, that's got to be somewhat of a conversation. You know, he's been debatable as a franchise quarterback his whole career. He hasn't performed in the big stages. I've always been a proponent of him. I figured he was, you know, more than solid, better than a lot of options, and, you know, it's worth worth the money that he signed. But with the weapons that he has now, I feel like it's inexcusable, and that's really who you, who you have to blame on this team, and the coach is probably going to take the blame. They'll keep Kirk Cousins. Um, but it's definitely been underwhelming, in my opinion, if you look at, at what the Vikings have had talent-wise, especially with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. So pretty bad game for him, though. Uh, the uh, Dalvin Cook, the Dalvin fucking Cook, man. I didn't play him in one of my fantasy leagues. Thank God I still got the win because I figured Steelers defense going to focus on stopping the run. He's nursing that shoulder. Well, this motherfucker had 27 carries for 205 yards and two touchdowns. That's a 7.6 average. And the first half, I swear he had 135, 140 yards for like a 15 per average. The receiving core was led by KJ Osborne of all people. 83 yards and a touchdown. He had a 62-yard touchdown. 
Uh, and then Justin Jefferson, uh, pretty much everywhere in this game. Although Kurt couldn't connect with him, he did drop a couple of balls. He had 15 targets, but only seven catches on those 15 targets for 79 yards and a touchdown. For the Steelers, Big Ben Roethlisberger. What a line, not what a game. Um, you know, he was back there, had no time, and taking hits, boy. He was taking hits, I thought, this season. I thought he might fucking retire at halftime. Well, he came in second half. I don't know who said what, what was said, but they came out guns a-blazing and makes me think, like, why don't they just fucking run the no huddle? Just run it. You know, give him more time. Make the things unpredictable. They are an unstopped force. At half, they said a team had never come back from 26 to 0. They almost did it, and a lot of it is attested to him. He can still throw the fucking football. For those of you saying you can't throw the football, shove a football in your mouth. That's never been the case. Uh, he has no goddamn time, and for an old guy, he needs a little bit of time. He was 28 for 40, 308 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick, and was sacked a handful of times. 30, you know, wait, how old is he? I think he's 39, right? 39 years old, his birthday, 40th of March. To get sacked like that five times, god damn, he better be seeing a nice tub. Good thing there's an extra, a little bit of rest. Um, Najee Harris, the first half had no holes whatsoever. They tried to establish the run. It wasn't a good idea as Minnesota was bringing extra pressure and, and they weren't able to deal with the patchwork line that they were dealing with. But he finished pretty nice. He had 20 carries for 94 yards, a 4.7 average and a touchdown. He had a long run in 23. Uh, Claypool got benched. He poked the finger. Yeah, everything he's doing, it was fucking boneheaded. He better figure it out. But the guy can ball. He had eight catches for 93 yards. Um, and then James Washington and Pat Fryermuth and Najee had receiving touchdowns. Defensively for the Vikings, Eric Kendricks with 11 tackles, one sack, two tackles for a loss and a QB hit. As a unit, they amassed those five sacks. Um, nobody had real big standout performances. Um, Brashad Breland did have an interception. For the Steelers, they had no sacks on Kirk Cousins. That's not Steeler football. Uh, Kello Witherspoon with two interceptions. I have a day, sir. Statistically, the Vikings, 5 of 14 on third, 1 for 1 on fourth. The Steelers, 4 of 13 on third, 2 for 2 on fourth down. Um, the Vikings out-yarded the Steelers by 80. They won the turnover battle 2 to 1 and out-possessed the Steelers by a minute. At the time, my thought process is whoever loses this game, their season's eliminated. And the Steelers most likely are eliminated. Call me biased. But I think they got a shot. I think they got a shot. The Henry List Titans this week wrapped the Chiefs up in a big fat L. You're going to L the shit out of that one. The Ravens and the Browns. Let's see, one of those is a home game. Maybe. The Browns at home, the Ravens on the road. The Ravens are just more fucked up, if not more, than the Steelers. And do you really have confidence in the Browns? Do you really? So, we'll see. Uh, moving into Sunday, AFC North football, almost an interesting game. Um, not quite the comeback effort, but the big story here is Lamar Jackson going, uh, to the sideline pretty early. I was only for four for four before he hurt his ankle. Uh, but Tyler Huntley coming in, I'm not going to lie. I like this Tyler Huntley kid. I think he is, um, potentially a, you know, this, everyone wants the bold statements, is Lamar Jackson a franchise quarterback? I'm unsure, to be honest. 
what I've seen from Tyler Huntley every time he stepped in, though, I think he is deserving of a starter job. Is he going to earn it over Lamar Jackson? Most likely not. But would it be a big loss for the for the Ravens to have Huntley as a starter? I absolutely don't think so. Take that snippet and shove it. Uh, Tyler Huntley, 27-38, 270 and a touchdown. He was sacked three times. Devontae Freeman still getting bell cow work and doing all right. You know, I've been harsh on him, but he's been playing pretty decent ball. He had 13 carries for 64 yards. It's a 4.9 average. Again, you're over four. You're doing something. Mark Andrews, tight end one, wide receiver one, whatever you want to call him. 11 catches on 11 targets. That's sure hand Andrews. 115 yards in a tutty. And Rashard Bateman chipped in for 103 yards. Most of that coming with Lamar being out. You got to use that big body son of a gun, right? For the Browns, Baker, 22 of 32, 190, two touchdowns and a pick. Nick Chubb, 17 carries, but only 59 yards. It's a 3.5 average. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones led the receiving core, five catches, 90 yards. Landry and Hooper with the touchdowns. Tyler Huntley, though, did lose two fumbles. That's very Lamar Jackson-esque. He must have been showing them the way. Um... Anthony Everett got an interception for Baltimore. They got no sacks, not a lot of a lot of action there. For the Browns, Grant Delpit with 11 tackles, all of them solo. They were able to get to uh, Tyler Huntley and Lamar four times. Conversion rate for the Browns are 6-13, pretty solid on third. The Ravens 1-for-12, that is not okay. The fact that they're in this game going 1-for-12, but they made up for it 3-for-4 four on fourth. Yardage-wise, the Ravens out-yarded the uh, Browns by 100. They lost the turnover battle 2-1 to one and were out-possessed by the Browns by 7 minutes. Got that pick right. Didn't get the Steelers right. That was one of my losses. The Titans blank the Jaguars. Urban Meyer's last stand here. Um, Adam Schefter gave the report. I was watching ESPN because I'm a Jazz fan. The Jazz did work last night. Watch out. Um, but, uh, Adam Schefter was talking about the look and the body language of urban Meyer. Didn't seem like he was happy with the job, you know, didn't seem like he, he, he was where he needs to be. And, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of the things that he's done makes no sense. If you're the Jaguars, how are you going to win football games? When you look at your roster on a, you know, against another team and you know that you're out talented, well, let's let Trevor get some nice play-action plays in, and let's live off the run. Let's keep the other team's offense off the field. Let's slow them down, and let's get a smash-mouth defense. Let's make our fucking defense live for the turnover and make a difference in the game. We've seen what James Robinson could do. The poor bastard gets six carries. I mean, this is not, like, the shit that he does just blows my mind. I think James Robinson is the most talented offensive weapon they have, and that's how you're going to do him. Well, Trevor Lawrence did get 40 attempts, which, you know, this guy's been getting these types of attempts every game, playing from behind. If I'm the coach, I don't want Trevor Lawrence to have to make those many plays. But he was 24 for 40, no touchdowns, four picks. I mean, shit, the amount of picks that he has on the season, let's see if I can find this real quick, has got to be one of the leaders, right? Let's see. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to let me... Search for the bad stats, right? Interceptions want to be on defense. Yeah, offense. Interceptions. So Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence, both with 14 to lead the league. 
It's kind of wild, right? The two young studs, Burrow, with all the props he's been given. Um, offensively, the receiving core is led by Marvin Jones Jr., the vet, six catches, 70 yards. For the Titans, Tannehill, 20 of 31, 191 yards. He was sacked four times. The backfield was led by Donta Foreman. Uh, it's cool seeing these old journeymen get opportunities. He was 13 carries for 47 yards. It's only a 3.6 average, but he did find the end zone. Uh, McNichols had his fair share and Dontrell Hilliard as well. And then the passing game was led by Jeff Swaim. That's who you all expected, I'm sure. Three catches for 45 yards. Um, defensively, the Titans were able to get to Trevor Lawrence three times. For the Jaguars, Damian Wilson, 10 tackles, one sack, two tackles for a loss and a QB hit. As a unit, they got four sacks on Tannehill. Tennessee, full of picks, though. Buster Scrine, Jayon Brown, Rashawn Evans, and Christian Fulton, all with an interception as Trevor Lawrence's numbers keep hiking. The Titans were a pretty solid 6-15 on third. The Jags 5-13 of 13 and 1-2 for two on fourth. The Jaguars did out-yard the um, Jaguars. Tennessee Titans out-yard them by 70. They won the turnover battle 4-0, to zero, so they were plus 4, and out-possessed the Jags by 13 minutes. Some more divisional football, right? On paper, these are typically good games. The Chiefs are back. I'll tell you what, the Chiefs are fucking back, right? They're playing right now at 13-14. They could lose, but this team is fucking back. Uh, Derek Carr, 33 of 45, 263, a touchdown, a pick, sacked four times. Jacobs, only nine carries for 24 yards. It's a 2.7 average. And the receiving core was led again. Wes Welker, 2.0. Hunter Renfro, 13 catches on 14 targets. A buck 17 and a tutty. Um, lots of fumbles to be lost. Zay Jones, Renfro, Josh Jacobs, Derek Carr. Hold on to the goddamn football. Pat Mahomes, 20 for 24, 258 and two touchdowns. Uh, the backfield was led by, you called it, Derek Gore, the big man. Nine carries for 66 yards. He had a 55-yard run. That's what led to it. 7.3 average and a touchdown. Obviously garbage time. Uh, Clyde's Edwards Solera, 10 carries for 37 yards. That's under four but a, uh, per average, but two touchdowns as a runner. And Tyreek Hill led the receiving core with four catches for 76 yards. Darrell Williams, Josh Gordon with touchdowns. Welcome to the Chiefs, Josh Gordon. Enjoy that Super Bowl ring. I'm predicting the future. Um, defensively, the Chiefs got to Derek Carr four times. Alex Okafor with a sack and a half and two QB hits. The Honey Badger finding a way to get an interception. And for the Raiders, who are on the field most of the day, Divine Diablo with 10 tackles and Jonathan Abram with 10 tackles. They only got to Pat Mahomes three times. The Chiefs were 9-13 on third down. That's a winning formula there. The Raiders, 4-11, of 1-for-1 one one on fourth. The uh, Chiefs out-yarded the Raiders by 80. They were a plus 5 in the turnover differential, 5-0, to zero, and out-possessed the Raiders by 7. Moving on. We all knew this would be a close one. The Saints beat the Jets 30-9. They go to 6-7. The Jets 3-10. Taysom Hill 15-21, 175. He played a little bit of quarterback this game. And they fed the beast. Alvin Kamara 27 carries 120 yards. It's a 4.4 average with a touchdown. Taysom Hill had his fair share with 11 for 73 and two touchdowns on the day as well. Uh, receiving leader, another random tight end, Nick Vanette, ex-Steeler, ex-Seahawk, three catches, 44 yards. 
Uh, for the Jets, J-E-T-S. The future, Zach Wilson, 19 of 42, 202, sacked three times. He led the team in running with four carries for 33 yards as Michael Pirine and Ty Johnson got 13 total, uh, but only amassed 45 yards together. And then Braxton Berrios led the team in receiving with 52 yards and six uh, receptions. You know, no um, Elijah Moore, no, um, well, they did have Jamison Crowder, but not a lot of offense. That Saints D is legit. Defensively, C.J. Mosley everywhere. He's on the field all the time. 17 tackles, 11 solo. Elijah Riley with 10 tackles as well. And the Saints got to taste him three different, or the Jets got to taste him three times as a unit. For the Saints, um, Quan Alexander, four tackles, two sacks, a tackle for a loss, and a QB hit. They had three sacks as a unit on the Jets. The Jets were only three of 14 on third down and one for three on fourth. The Saints, 6 of 15 on third, 1 for 1 on fourth. They out-yarded the Jets by 90. No team had turnovers, but they outpossessed the Jets by 17 minutes. NFC East, it's a dumpster fire. Washington's fighting. They couldn't do enough. Heineke got hurt. Kyle Allen came in. Dak Prescott, 22 of 39, 211, a touchdown and two picks. He's got to become a dual-threat quarterback. They say he's in a slump, potentially. He's got to become a dual threat. That's what opens things up. He is not uh, He's not going to win a Super Bowl trying to be a pocket passer. Zeke, 12 carries, 45 yards. It's only 3.8. Um, no Tony Pollard. So Corey Clement, ex-Eagle, 13 carries for 44 yards. He didn't do any better at a 3.4 average. C.D. Lamb, 7 catches, 61 yards to lead the way. Amari Cooper got a touchdown. Um, Heineke was 11 to 25, 122, a touchdown and a pick before leaving Antonio Gibson, not keeping the momentum as he had previously 10 carries, 36 yards. And then Cam Sims of all people leading the receiving core, three catches for 69 yards. He had a touchdown and a long ball of 43. Uh, the Washington football team, just like the Raiders fumbling everywhere. Heineke Allen, both quarterbacks and Antonio Gibson with lost fumbles. Um, Cole Holcomb and Landon Collins with interceptions for Washington. They were able to get to Dak Prescott four times. Landon Collins had five tackles, two sacks, a tackle for a loss, a pass defended, and a QB hit. For the boys, um, they were able to get to the both quarterbacks of the Washington football team five times. Micah Parsons, God damn, he can ball. He says the NFL's easy. Can't wait to see what happens to him now. Three tackles, two sacks, one tackle for a loss, QB hits. If I have one word of advice for you young football players, don't say it's easy. Everyone will focus on you. Once people have film on you and you play one position, you don't get to be all over the field, you're going to get a gut check. Hate to say it, but, you know, we're fucking grown men. They're grown men out there. That's a little boy saying that. You ain't telling me someone's going to say something about it or focus on him on the game film. And say, Coach, we need to show him that this shit is easy. Just saying. Uh, Randy Gregory, welcome back. He has an interception for the boys. Uh, Washington, 3 of 14 on third down, 1 for 2 on fourth. The Cowboys, 7 of 18 on third. They out-yard um, the Washington football team by 60. They win the turnover battle 2 to 4 and outpossess the Washington football team by 9 minutes. I hate that they still don't have a name. This fucking game. I'm still pissed about it. 
This game costs me a lot of money that could have made up for all the losing on the on the fucking tables. Ugh, shoot myself. The Falcons beat the Panthers 29 to 21. They go to 6 and 7, the Panthers 5 and 8. The Panthers were my surprise football team to make the playoffs. They have no quarterback help. Looks like Darnold's going to come back. Uh, obviously did not expect Darnold and CMC to get hurt. Things could have potentially been different, but that's football. Matt Ryan, 19 of 28, 190 yards and a touchdown. Corderell Patterson, just their full fucking offense. He gets 16 carries for 58 yards. It's only a 3.6 average. He did find the end zone. The receiving core led by Russell Gage, four catches for 64 yards. And for the Panthers, Cam Newton, 15 of 23, 178 in a pick. He was benched before half, came back in second half, benched again. P.J. Walker went 6 of 12, 75 yards, a touchdown and a pick. P.J. had a 62.9 rating, Cam Newton a 70.6. Cam did lead the way for the runners, 10 carries for 47 yards and a touchdown. Chuba Hubbard had 10 carries as well, but only 33 yards and a touchdown. Robbie Anderson, he's back. Seven catches, 84 yards and a touchdown. Had no long balls, surprisingly. Uh, Quadre Olison lost a fumble for um, the Falcons. Cam Newton, of course he did. He lost a fumble. Defensively for the Panthers, Jeremy Chin, fucking stud. 13 tackles, eight solo. Shaq Thompson always on the board with double digits. 11 tackles and a tackle for a loss. They got no sacks on Matty Ryan. For the Falcons, they got one sack, you know, whether it was Newton or PJ, who cares? Uh, Mikel Walker and AJ Trail with interceptions for the Falcons. Um, Carolina, four for 11 on third, one for three on fourth. Not good numbers. The Falcons, solid numbers. Seven for 14 on third, two for two on fourth. The, um... Panthers out-yarded the Falcons by 20, but they lost the turnover battle 3-1. to one. The Falcons were plus 2 and out-possessed the Panthers by 9 minutes. Surprised the Panthers are even in this game. I think the score was a lot closer than the, the actual game. All right, Seattle. They beat the Texans. Surprise, surprise. 33-13. to 13. They go to 5-8. and eight. The Texans are still at 2 wins. Russell Wilson, 17-28, 260, and two touchdowns. Rashad Penny, who? Rashad fucking Penny, first-round draft pick. They've been waiting for this moment to give them some shine. Either that or the Texans' run defense is trash. Well, we know one of those are true. We're going to see about the other. Rashad fucking Penny, 16 carries, a buck 37. That's an 8.6 average. Two tutties and a 47-yard uh, long run. Tyler Lockett. Letting his wings fly. He's on the COVID list this week. Five catches, 142 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, DK Metcalf, you're surprised we haven't been talking about him. 43 yards on four targets. Um, for the Texans, Davis Mills, he's their best chance. They might not draft a rookie quarterback. They really like this kid. He went 33 of 49, 331, and a touchdown. That'll do, 93 rating. Uh, Rex Burkhead and Royce Freeman, both with 11 carries. Burkhead had 40 yards. It's a 3.6 average. Freeman, only 15. That's a 1.4. Royce Freeman, probably see you in a practice squad again. Brandon Cooks, back over the 100 mark. Eight catches, 101 yards to lead the Texans receiving. Defensively, Christian Kirksey for the Texans, 10 tackles. Uh, they weren't able to get a sack as a unit. The Seahawks had Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks, tackling machines. 
Wagner with 15 tackles, one tackle for a loss. Jordan Brooks with 10 himself as well. And the unit got to Mills twice. No interceptions on the day. Uh, the Texans, you know, terrible conversions. 3 of 13 on third, 0 for 2 on fourth. The Seahawks, 7 for 13 on third down. Yardage-wise, they out-yarded the Texans by uh, 70 yards. No team had turnovers, and the Texans actually outpossessed the Seahawks by seven minutes. The Broncos beat the Lions 38 to 10. The Broncos keep winning secretly, silently. They're doing their thing. Uh, they go to seven and six. The Lions one and eleven and one. I'd actually pick the, the Broncos to the playoffs. I'd love to see it happen. Jared Goff, 24 39, 215, a touchdown and a pick. Craig Reynolds led the team in runs. Who the hell is Craig Reynolds? I don't know. Let's look. <laughs> uh, Craig Reynolds is a rookie out of Cuztown. 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 I remember looking this up in Vegas, but I uh, wasn't very sober. Cuztown University of Pennsylvania. Cuztown, Pennsylvania. Interesting. Well, he somehow finds himself in the mix. Um, I believe Jamal Williams is hurt. Obviously, Swift is hurt. Uh, but he gets 11 carries for 83 yards. He amasses a 7.5 average on a very good Broncos defense. Um, if you're a fantasy guy, I don't know. You are, you aren't. Better keep an eye on him. Um, I'm out of the playoffs, so f me, right? Um, Amron St. Brown, 8 catches, 73 yards to lead the uh, Lions in passing. And the, the Broncos, Teddy Bridgewater, 18 to 25, 179 and two touchdowns. Melvin Gordon led the backfield. He had 24 carries for 111 yards. Welcome back, Melvin. He gets the end zone twice. The young stud running partner, Javante Williams, with 15 carries for 73 yards and a touchdown as well. They both averaged right under five yards a carry. Noah Fant led the team in receiving four catches, 51 yards. Um, Albert Okwajenbaum and Javante Williams with pass, uh, reception touchdowns. Defensively, Justin Simmons... Fucking stud interception for the for the Broncos. They get to um, Jared Goff twice, both by Dramont Jones. He had three tackles, two sacks, three tackles for a loss, a pass defended, and two QB hits. He was in that grill all day. For the Lions defense, Josh Woods, 13 tackles, two tackles for a loss, and a QB hit. They got one sack as a unit on Teddy B. Uh, the Lions were 5 of 14 on third, three, and three for five on fourth. The Broncos, 8-for-12 on third, 1-for-1 one one on fourth. Great offense. Uh, they out-yarded the um, Lions by 40, won the turnover battle 2-0, to zero, and out-possessed the Lions by five minutes. At mile high, better watch out. No one's going to want to go to mile high. Little AFC-NFC. The Chargers beat the Giants 37-21. to 21. They go to 8-5. and five. The Giants drop to 4-9. and nine. Mike Glennon. 17 for 36, 191, two touchdowns and a pick. Uh, Saquon Barkley getting some action, 16 carries for 64 yards. It's a 4.0 average. And then the team was led in receptions by Kyle Rudolph. How old is this son of a bitch? 32-year-old Kyle Rudolph, man. Two catches for 66 yards. He had a 60-yard reception. For the Chargers, Justin Herbert, 23 of 31, 275, three touchdowns, a 133 rating. That a that kid's a fucking stud, man. He has that long touchdown pass. He's about to get hit. Rifles it like 65 yards down the field. Guess who's there? Jalen Guyton. Uh, Austin Eckler, 12 carries, 67 yards and a touchdown. That's a 5.6 average. 
They had a lot of backs involved. Justin Jackson, nine carries. Uh, Joshua Kelly, nine or ten carries as well. Jalen Guyton, because of that 59-yard reception, led the team. 87 yards on three carries and a touchdown. No touchdowns for Mike Williams. And um, Keenan Allen was in COVID protocol. Although it was a f- close contact, it was too short a notice. Mike Glennon did lose a fumble for the Giants. Uh, for the Chargers, Kaiser White, 10 tackles. They got to uh, Glennon two times as a unit. And Nick Neiman had an interception. The Giants defense got to Herbert twice as a unit. No standouts defensively. The Chargers 7-13 on third. The Giants 7-14, 0-2 on fourth down. The Giants got out-yarded by the Chargers by 110. They, the Chargers won the turnover battle 0-2, so plus 2. And outpossessed the Giants by 9. We'll see if Danny Dimes comes back. I could, you know, I feel the life being sucked out of his NFL career. It's a, it's a bummer to see. The 49ers Bengals playoff, you know, fucking football right here. I was at the stadium swim at Circa Sunday night for this um, before the Sunday night game. This one and the Bills Bucks come down to the wire. You got to love some AFC NFC football that's played like this. Well, the 49ers still won on the road in overtime. They should have won it with a missed kick, just a shanked kick. Found a way to win in the, in the, um, overtime, they win 26 to 23. They go to seven and six. The, the Bengals fall to seven and six. Jimmy G 27 to 41, 296 and two touchdowns. You know, he's playing good ball. I'm still shocked. We're not seeing the young boy, Trey Lance involved at all. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Wilson jr. 13 carries 56 yards to lead the way as they were without Elijah Mitchell. And obviously Debo ran in a touchdown as a runner, George Kittle, wide receiver, tight end one, whatever you want to call him. This was uh, to help break the record for 150 yards and a touchdown consecutively. He had 13 carries for 151 yards and a touchdown on 15 targets. And for the Bengals, Joe Burrow, 25 of 34, 348 and two touchdowns. Um, I was confidently surprised that they didn't put the hands on Joe Burrow at the end of the game. They tried running the ball. You know, Joe Mixon getting 18 carries but only 58 yards. It's a 3.2 average. That Niners run defense is solid. T. Higgins did lead the way again, five catches, 114 yards, but Jamar Chase with two touchdowns on 77 yards. Darius Phillips did lose two fumbles uh, for the Bengals. On the defense, Von Bell with uh, 10 tackles, two passes defended. As a unit, they got to Jimmy G five times. For the Niners, defense, uh, Aziz Alshair with 11 tackles, a, a sack, three tackles for a loss, and a pass defended. Uh, they also had Nick Bosa, three tackles, two sacks, two QB hits. They got to um, Burrow five times as a unit. The Bengals are 4-13 on third. That's tough. They were 1-1 one one on fourth. The Niners 5-15 uh, on third down. They got out-yarded by the Bengals by 40, um, but they won the turnover battle 0-2. They were plus 2, and the Bengals outpossessed the Niners by a minute. Moving on to another great afternoon game. The Bucks defending championship. You know, a lot of people had this as their preseason Super Bowl matchup. They beat the Bills 33-27. to Josh Allen had a heroic effort at the end, but it falls short in overtime. They go to 7-6 as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 10-3. 6-0 at home in Tampa. Tom Brady, 31-46, 363 and two touchdowns. Leonard Fournette, fucking RB1, baby. Playoff Lenny. 19 carries, 113 yards. It's a 5.9 average at the touchdown. 
and Chris Godwin led the way with 10 catches for 105 yards, although Mike Evans did have 91 yards and a touchdown, and Brashad Perryman had the game-clinching touchdown. Josh Allen, 36 of 54. It's hard to win games, and this is why I didn't think they're a Super Bowl contender when you're throwing the ball 54 fucking times. 308 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Uh, he also led the team in running 12 carries, 109 yards, and a touchdown. Devin Singletary only had four for 52. Um, good yardage on a small amount of carries, though. Stephon Diggs led the team in receiving, no surprise, seven catches, 74 yards, but on 13 targets. Now, um, for the uh, Bills defensively, Tremaine Ed Edmonds, 12 tackles, one tackle for a loss and a pass defended. Jordan Poyer, 10 tackles and a pass defended. They got to Tom Brady two times as a unit. For the Bucks, Devin White, 10 tackles, a sack and a half, a tackle for a loss and a QB hit. Uh, Shaquille Barrett with three tackles, a sack and a half, and a tackle for a loss and five QB hits. Uh, they got to Josh Allen three times as a unit. Welcome back from the IR Richard Sherman. He finds himself an interception. The Bucks were 8 of 16 on third down, 0 for 1 on fourth. Championship formulas, 50% or better from third on third. Uh, the Bills, 2 of 13 on third, 2 for 3 on fourth down. The Bills are out yarded by 22. Uh, they lost the turnover battle 1 to 0, and both teams pretty much identical in TOP. AFC or NFC North, some Sunday night football. The discount double check. Don't do it. It never works. Uh, the Packers win 45 to 30. They go to 10 and 3, 6 and 0 in Lambeau. The Bears drop to 4 and 9. Justin Fields showing out a little bit, even though he had the rib injury. 18 to 33, 224, two touchdowns and two picks. But he did lead the team in running with 74 yards. Uh, Montgomery did get 10 carries for 42 yards. Obviously, 10 carries, 42 yards. It's a 4.2 average. Good job. Um, Demirier. Demir Bird, two catches, 76 yards, and a touchdown to lead the way. He did have a 54-yard long ball. Uh, Justin Fields did lose a fumble. Rodgers, 29-37, 341, four tutties for a 141 rating. Please unite with Devontae Adams in the black and yellow. You will forever be cemented in football glory. Uh, A.J. Dillon, 15 carries, 71 yards. It's a 4.7 average. Devontae Adams, god damn, I wish I could have gotten the playoffs. That was my number one pick. Ten catches, 121 yards, two touchdowns on the day. Um, defensively for the Packers, Devondre Campbell, we talked about him earlier. 16 fucking tackles. Uh, Preston Smith, we talked about him earlier. Four tackles, two sacks, a tackle for a loss, and three QB hits. Um, Rajul Douglas and Shannon Sullivan with interceptions. Uh, Rajul Douglas at the pick six. We talked about him being a low-key playmaker. For the Bears defensively, um, they were able to get to Rodgers three times. Robert Quinn with two tackles, two sacks, two tackles for a loss, and two QB hits on the day. Uh, the Packers converted 4 of 10 on third down, 1 for 1 on fourth. The Bears 5 of 13 on third, 0 for 1 on fourth. The Packers outyarded the Bears by about 95. They won the turnover battle 0-3, to three, so plus 3, and um, outpossessed the Bears by 10 minutes. So then Monday night, we got a little showdown. Uh, the Rams looking to get revenge in the desert against the Cardinals. They win 30-23. The Cardinals dropped to 10-3. The Rams moved to 9-4. Matt Stafford, 23-30, 287 and 3 touchdowns. That's a 139 rating, folks. Matt Stafford can't do it under pressure in prime time. He just showed you he can. And 
No Darrell Henderson. Insert Sony Michelle. Um, Sonny Michelle. 20 carries, 79 yards. It's a 4.9 average. And then the receiving team, guess who? Led by Cooper Cup. Eastern Washington FCS represent. Big Sky represent. 13 carries, 123 yards, a touchdown. Um, OBJ and Van Jefferson with touchdowns as well. For the Cardinals, Kyler Murray, 32 of 49, doing unbelievable things that a lot of people said hadn't been done before. This kid can ball. Uh, he had two interceptions, though. Uh, he did lead the team in running with 61 yards, and James Conner got 13 carries for 31 yards. It's only a 2.4 average, but found the end zone twice and did have 94 yards receiving. Nice one-handed grabs. A.J. Green led the team in receiving seven catches for 102 yards. Defensively, the Cardinals were able to get to Stafford three times as a unit. For the Rams, Aaron Donald, there's a reason. He is a perennial defensive player of the year. Five tackles, three sacks, three tackles for a loss, a pass defended, and three QB hits. He had three of the four sacks for the team. Ernest Johnson and Leonard Floyd with interceptions. The Cardinals were 8 of 15 on third down, two for four on fourth. The um, Rams, 6 for 12 on third down. The Cardinals out-yarded the Rams by 90, but they lost a turnover battle 2-0. to zero. You usually go 8-15 on third down, over 447 yards. You win the game, but when you go minus 2 in the turnover department, it's hard to win. They outpossess the Rams by a minute. That'll be a fun potential rematch in the postseason. So we out here week 15. There's 11 minutes in the game. The Chargers are up on the Chiefs, 14-13. to 13. Uh, definitely wish I was watching that a little bit, but, uh, Hey, what can you say? Um, I picked the chiefs to win this game on the road. They're just looking tough to beat. Um, I looked like Mike Williams potentially out for the game too, which is not good. Uh, we have some Saturday football. This is the last Thursday night game of the season. We get a little bit of Saturday action. I won't be watching. I'm going to be in the ski Hills. We got some snow. It's a late ski season. Can't wait to hit the ski Hills. Uh, you guys are local. Got an icon pass. Hit me up. I'll be at Crystal all year. Um, on Saturday, the Raiders hosting the Browns. This is COVID central. Uh, the players are giving a lot of feedback and push of potentially delaying the game, rescheduling the game, yada, yada. The NFL ain't want none of it. Both these Saturday games are on the NFL network. The Browns, um, I'm taking the Browns at home to beat the Raiders. The Raiders are right now, let me refresh this, favored by three and a half. No Baker, no Case Keenum, COVID protocols. They might be starting their third-string quarterback. I'm still going with the Browns. Uh, Nick Chubb's going to win that game by themselves. The Raiders are a fucking disaster right now. Then the Colts, 7-6, and six, hosting the 9-4 and four Patriots. The Colts are two-and-a-half favorite at home. I'm taking them to cover here at home. Sunday morning, we got Bills over Panthers. Uh, the Bills are favored by 10-and-a-half. I'm going to take them at home, but I'm not taking them to cover. The Lions at home against the Cardinals. The Cardinals favored by 12 and a half. I'll take the Cardinals on the road, but I'm not taking them to cover. The Dolphins hosting the Jets. Dolphins favored by nine and a half at home. Mm, I'll take the Dolphins at home to cover. I'll give them 10, nine and a half. Uh, the Giants hosting the Cowboys. This was a close game last time. The Cowboys favored by 10 and a half on the road. I'll take the Cowboys, but not to cover. Uh, the Eagles hosting the Giants, both teams 6-7, and seven, trying to fight for their lives. This is an eliminator game in my mind. Eagles favored by 9.5. I'll take them to win. Jalen Hurts still questionable, so watch out on that. But I'm not taking them to cover. The Steelers out home playing the Titans. This is an even line right now. That's fucking sad. But I'm going to go with the Steelers at home. The Jaguars hosting the Texans. 
Uh, this is the coaching post-coach fired game. The last time this happened, the Giants made a surprise. I don't know if you could say the Jaguars winning at home is surprise. They're also favored by five at home. But I think the Jaguars take care of business. I think they give James Robinson a shit ton of carries against that very, very terrible run defense of the Texans. Uh, I'm not taking them to cover, though. Uh, the Broncos taking on the Bengals at home in mile high. The Bron Broncos are favored by two and a half. I thought they'd be underdogs. I'm taking the mile high Broncos to win at home, and I'm taking them to cover. I mean, how do you not take them to cover at two and a half, right? The 49ers hosting the uh, the Falcons. The, the 49ers favored by nine and a half. It's an afternoon game. I'm going to go with the Niners, and I'm not taking them to cover. The Rams hosting the Seahawks, little NFC West action. The Rams favored by four and a half at home. I'll take the Rams and I'll take them to cover. Uh, another afternoon game, the eight and five Ravens hosting the 10 and three Packers. Packers favored by five and a half on the road. I'll take the Packers to win uh, and cover on the road. The Buccaneers hosting the Saints. Tampa Bay favored by 11. This is just a nightmare matchup for them. They'll find a way to win, but I'm not taking them to cover. The over is 46 and a half. I take the under as well. On Monday, NFC North. This is, you know, with the new streaming devices, you could get this on ESPN, ESPN Plus, or ABC. Uh, the Bears at home are, or the Vikings on the road are favored by five and a half. I'll take the Vikings on the road as well. So only got a few weeks. My favorite thing is the ESPN playoff machine. Check it out. You could, you know, finalize the games the rest of the year. It'll give you the playoffs based off tiebreakers and everything else. Um, I'll wait to share that next week. See what happens this week and then I'll share it. Um, but playoff football, every team that wants to have a part of playoffs, every game's a must win. It's getting interesting. Um, we don't get to talk about a lot of past week college football news, but I am giving you guys my picks this week. Uh, but before we do that, there's quite a bit of shit happening in the world of college football. You know, there's people opting in, opting out of college, the the bowl games. Kenneth Walker uh, just said he's going to focus on the draft, not play. You know, I had picked uh, Pittsburgh to beat him in the bowl game anyways, but there will be guys in and out that's going to make picks hard. It always does. Uh, but the transfer portal, active more than ever. You hate to see it. Uh, with all the coaches being in different places too, though, you almost can't, you know, you have to give the kids respect. But Sean Clifford is returning to Penn State for his sixth season to break the all-time passing record. Uh, that was definitely a shocker for me. Uh, Oregon hiring Georgia's defensive coordinator, Dan Lanning, as head coach. Penn State is hiring ex-Miami's head coach, Manny Diaz, as their defensive coordinator. Great to see him get a job quickly at a powerhouse school. Um, Bo Nix entering the transfer portal. You know, I don't know what his stock is at this page, but maybe he goes to Pitt after Kenny Pickett. Uh, former five-star QB Quinn Ewers has announced he's transferring from Ohio State to Texas. Texas is getting some big transfers and taking advantage of all this commotion. Kadon Slovis entering transfer portal. He's bouncing out of USC. He knows Dart's going to be better. You have Lincoln Riley there. He has his guy Malachi Nelson. He probably wasn't in the mix. He's a solid quarterback, though, and can make a change somewhere. Zach Calzada also entering the transfer portal. I'm not too sure you know, why he's doing that, but he is. Uh, Got to give this man some respect. Amazing punter, best punter in the FCS. Brian Buschini transferring from Montana, going to Nebraska. They've also gotten uh, Samuel Torre. I think it's Samuel Torre. But Torre, the stud receiver from Montana. Uh, they got a little Nebraska pipeline connection going. 
Spencer Rattler announces he's taken himself, the tight end, and a receiver, uh, Jadon Hazelwood, and the tight end, Austin Stogner, to South Carolina to play for the Gamecocks. Why they chose South Carolina, to be honest, I have no clue. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, but it is what it is. We'll see what he can do as the number one uh, quarterback in his class. Michael Penix Jr. transferring to Washington to join Kalen DeBoer, who also had uh, recruited him. So it'll be interesting to see how he does. This guy was hyped up entering the year. Indiana was ranked like number 10. So it'll be interesting to see if the Huskies could return to uh, relevance. They also had announced the AP All-American team for college football. All-American team. So we'll go over that quickly. Nope, no. October. Boom. So first team offense, future Heisman winner, Bryce Young, uh, Kenneth Walker III, Brees Hall from Iowa State. These kids are studs. I think both these guys are going to be dominant backs in the NFL. Jordan Addison from Pittsburgh, the number one receiver for Kenny Pickett. Jamison Williams, they always have a wide receiver one in Alabama. They keep recruiting uh, number ones to fill for number ones, and I'm sure he's going to be a, I'm confident to say a top 15 pick in the draft. Tight end Trey McBride out of Colorado State. Uh, tackle Evan Neal out of Alabama. Guard Kim Okwanu from North Carolina State. Center Tyler Laterbaum from Iowa. Kenyon Green, a guard out of Texas A&M. Charles Cross, a tackle out of Mississippi State. As an athlete, the little man, Deuce Vaughn, Darren Sproles, 2.0 from Kansas State. On the defensive side of the ball, potential Heisman winner, Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. Jordan Davis from Georgia. DeMarvin Leal from Texas A&M. Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon. I want to know what his stats are, if that was just kind of a, like, oh, the kid's that good, let's just put him, because he was hurt for a while. Uh, Will Anderson Jr. from Alabama. N'Kobe Dean from Georgia. What a fucking stud. He won the Buckus Award as well. Uh, Devin Lloyd from Utah. Riley Moss out of Iowa corner. Ahmad Gardner out of Cincinnati. For safeties, Veron McKinley III out of Oregon. Lewis Sign out of Georgia. Special teams, kicker Harrison Mevis of Missouri. Pat Areza from SDSU, San Diego State. And Marcus Johnson out of Houston for returner. Um, big names on the second team, uh, Kenny Pickett, obviously. Um, nothing that really like stands out, stands out. But congrats to those guys. It's a hard to get that award. You're the best of the best. You know, designated NFL studs. Um, but what we do have that had happened in the FCS or in the college football is the FCS. And boy, was it a wild week. I got to watch my Montana Grizz get their shit kicked out of, uh, um, James Madison. I'm not surprised from that. James Madison is a solid team, but when your quarterback goes out to a concussion and your best receiver, you open the game with the 45 yard long ball. He catches it, hurts his shoulder and he's on the sidelines. And that's not a recipe for success by any means. Uh, but James Madison did the damn thing. Uh, Montana also had Chris Brown. I'm not sure if he got hurt or benched, uh, but they inserted Robbie Patterson, who's their potential future quarterback. Um, good to get him some action. He's from Oregon. Um, he had his moments, but he was 7-17 for 44 yards and two picks. So statistically, it wasn't there. The team did run for 159 yards as a unit. Xavier Harris had 18 of those carries for 65 yards. 
Uh, Junior Bergeron led the team in receiving with 45 yards. Um, you know, you take a Kim out, there just wasn't a lot of action happening there. Uh, for James Madison, though, this kid ran with a vengeance. He reminded me of a lot of um, Ramondre Stevenson out of Oklahoma. But Latrell Palmer, look for him. He's only a sophomore, so he's got another another season. But these guys are going up to FBS next year. He was 19 carries, 167 yards. It's 8.8 average and a touchdowns. They did the damn thing. North Dakota rolls East Tennessee State. I mean, are you surprised? I'm not. Uh, the team that I had is the underdog out of the left side of the bracket. South Dakota State, they beat um, Villanova, who is ranked higher than them. Uh, had a solid game, but a lot of it was Isaiah Davis, who had 25 carries for 174 yards. That's a seven per rush average, and he had three touchdowns. And then Jackson Janke, six catches, 119 yards, and two touchdowns. But Montana State beating Sam Houston State. You know, I expected Sam Houston State to be upset. I, I thought they were a little overrated. But for Montana State, without their starting quarterback to do this, blew my mind. Tommy Mallett was 6 of 11, 165 yards and two touchdowns. And Isaiah Fonze ran the ball 24 times for 105 yards and a touchdown in the defeat. Um, you know, credit to Eric Schmidt. He was 27 to 39, 354 and two touchdowns, but he did have three picks. They won 42 to 19. I mean, that's one of the biggest shockers I've seen in FCS football in a long time. I do not expect them to beat South Dakota State, but hey, you never know. They get a host of fucking game in Bozeman. It's going to be wild. Uh, but James Madison and North Dakota State, that's really the championship in my mind. These are the two best teams. They're playing Friday night on ESPN2. I'm definitely going to be scoping that one. Uh, the Bison are five-point favorites at home. It's hard to bet against the Bison, Bison, but if anyone's going to do it, it's James Madison. And I expect the Jackrabbits to be more than a handful for the uh, Bozeman Bobcats. So let's go over some bowl games, go over some picks. You know, I did consider some teams without players being out of them, but I just went from what I saw on paper, what I saw by their strength of schedule. I do it pretty similar to like I did the bracket. But we start with the Bahamas Bowl. Well, these bowl games are funny. I, I didn't think I wanted to go through the bowl names because it's just kind of outrageous. But I figured why the fuck not? We could kind of laugh about it. The crazy names, the sponsorships that there are for bowl games. Um... But we have Toledo hosting Middle Tennessee. They're not hosting, but they are, you know, the home team. Um, I think Toledo is going to win this game. They're favored by 10 and a half, so Vegas agrees. Next up, and these games happen tomorrow, Friday, December 17th. So bowl games are coming, baby. Uh, football almost every day from here on out to 2022. We got the Tell Greeter Care Bowl, Cure Bowl um, Coastal Carolina taking on Northern Illinois. I've been high on Coastal Carolina. They got Grayson McCall back. They're actually favored by 11 here. I'm taking them, so Vegas is on the same page. Sorry, this Pendleton's nice right now. Um, heading into Saturday, we got a full slate of games. We start with the RoofClaim.com Boca Raton Bowl. Uh, Appalachian State taking on Western Kentucky. This is a really close game. I went back and forth on who I, who I was going to take. But I'm taking App State. They're favored by three, so Vegas is with me. Moving on, we have uh, the PUBG, which is basically a Call of Duty-like Battle Royale game. Never played it before. It looks kind of fun. But PUBG Mobile New Mexico Bowl. Um, I'm going to go Fresno State's playing UTEP. I'm going to go with Fresno State. I don't think this is going to be that close of a game. And Vegas agrees. They got Fresno State by 11.5 uh, as a spread. 
And then we got on ABC, BYU, the 13th ranked BYU. They got a shit bowl game against UAB. They're playing the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl. Um, I'm going with BYU. I don't think this one will be very close. UAB is a solid team, but BYU's stout on both sides of the ball. They're favored by seven, so Vegas is with me. Then we get uh, some, you know, good action. If you want to, if you like to do mock drafts, you like to check into that kind of thing, you're going to want to turn into the Lending Tree Bowl as Liberty takes on Eastern Michigan. There's uh, quite a few guys that will be in the draft, uh, but Malik Willis, a potential top two or three quarterback, a lot of people thought would be one of the top quarterbacks besides Spencer Rattler in this year's draft. Um, so definitely worth checking in. I think Malik Willis has to show out on the stage to boost that draft stock to where he thinks it should be. So that's why I'm taking Liberty. Vegas is with me. They're favored by nine and a half. And then this is funny. We now have a Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl presented by Stifle. Shout out Jimmy Kimmel doing the damn thing. You know, talk about life goals. Yo, I need a bowl game named and sponsored by me. Um, well, the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl is a solid bowl game. Two different conferences, Mountain West, Pac-12. We got Oregon State and Utah State. Um, I went back and forth on this one, but Oregon State, they seem to be more of a consistent team. I watched Utah State lose to Wyoming and was just mind blown as a Wyoming fan that that had happened. Uh, but I'm going to go with Oregon State. Vegas is with me. They're favored by seven. And then the last game, Friday night, we have the R plus L Carriers New, New Orleans Bowl. We have Marshall taking on the Raging Cajuns, Louisiana. Their head coach probably won't be there, I'm assuming. Um, you know, I haven't done my fact-checking. Don't really care. I think the team's good enough to beat Marshall. Vegas is with me. They're favored by five. Plus, they're playing close to home. And then Monday, we get one game. We get the Myrtle Beach Bowl presented by Tax Act. Tulsa taking on Old Dominion. I'm not very high on Old Dominion. They're one of those 6-6 six and six teams that they get a bowl game because they're 6-6, six and six, I guess. Um, but, uh, I'm going to go with Tulsa probably pretty heavily. Vegas agrees. They're, they're favored by nine and a half. Then always, uh, you know, you always got to have this bowl game. This is on Tuesday. We have the famous Idaho potato bowl. Guess who's playing the Wyoming Cowboys. Um, cause now that there's games for six and six teams, uh, but they're taking on Kent, Kentucky state. Wyoming is actually favored. This is a very biased pick. I'm taking Wyoming. I think the run game will get the job done here. Um, that's a pretty 50-50 game, you ask me. Tuesday, we also got San Diego State taking on UTSA. The Roadrunners were having a nice undefeated season up in the rankings. They did suffer one loss. Uh, San Diego State, one of the favorites out of the Mountain West. I'm going to take UTSA to do the damn thing and finish the season strong, but this is going to be a good game. Uh, Vegas has them favored as, uh, by two as well. So thus far, me and Vegas on the same page. It's like we know what we're doing, you know? Going into Wednesday, you get one game. You get the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. Army, obviously an armed force, taking on Missouri. I don't think they're quite as an armed force. Missouri playing decent ball in the SEC. But I'm going to go with Army. Vegas agrees. They're four-point favorites. You got to win the Armed Forces Bowl as an armed force team, right? Moving into Thursday, we got the Frisco Football Classic. Miami of Ohio taking on North Texas. Miami of Ohio is actually favored, and I'm taking North Texas in this one. I'm going against Vega right here in Frisco. Moving on, we have the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl. Again, this is Thursday. Finally, like a solid bowl game. We're starting to get into good competition next Thursday before New or before Christmas. Uh, we got Florida taking on UCF. Obviously, you know UCF, you know, battling their fair share of injuries this year. 
Uh, has Florida favored by six and a half. Emory Jones is in the transfer portal. I don't assume he's going to play, but I'm still going to go with Florida. It's hard for me to pick against them. When UCF, I have no clue who's going to be a part of that team in this bowl game. <clears throat> Headed on Friday, Christmas Eve, you get Hawaii taking on Memphis. Um, Hawaii has actually played some pretty solid fucking football towards this later half of the year. I think they put on like a 35-burger up against Wyoming. They're underdogs. They're favored. Uh, Memphis is favored by 7.5, but I'm going with Hawaii and going with a little underdog action. On Christmas, you get a bowl game. I feel bad for those guys. We got the Taxed at Camellia Bowl. Ball State and Georgia State. Uh, Georgia State's favored by 4.5. I'm taking them. Me and Vegas are on the same page. And no, I will not be watching that. I'll be watching uh, football on Christmas. Moving into Monday after the uh, Christmas break, Thanksgiving. It's crazy that it's Christmas. It's almost 22. Like, what the? what is life, man? Uh, we got the Quick Lane Bowl. We have Nevada taking on Western Michigan. Um, I'm going to go with Western Michigan. Don't think very highly of Nevada. Vegas agrees they're favored by six. Later that day, uh, starting the new week, you have East Carolina. The Lincoln Riley, you know, started his tenure of amazingness to that. Uh, they're taking on Boston College for the Military Bowl presented by Periton. I'm going to go with um, East Carolina. Boston College is favored by three. I don't think that highly of them, though, so fuck you, Vegas. Fuck you, Vegas. Going into Tuesday, this is going to be fun. We have the Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl. We have Auburn taking on the 20th-ranked Houston. Um... I think that Houston is going to get the job done. No Bo Nix. I think they're going to go with a lot of uh, players that they're not used to. Bigsby could win this game by himself if he plays. Auburn's favored by two and a half, so I'm taking the I'm taking the upset here. Oops, lost my spot. So still on Tuesday, we got the Serve Pro First Responder Bowl. We have Louisville taking on Air Force. I'm going with Air Force with the upset. Louisville is favored by one and a half. Later that day, Texas Tech taking on Mississippi State. This is going to be a fun game. Mississippi State's favored by 8.5 in the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. I'm taking Mississippi State. Uh, Mike Leach is going to throw the ball a shit ton of times against that Texas Tech offense, and I think it's going to work. Next up, we got the San Diego, San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl. They throw all the fucking names in these bowl names just to get money. It's wild. Uh, but we have the 18th-ranked North Carolina State squad taking on UCLA. I'm going to go with North Carolina State. They're favored by one, uh, according to Vegas, so they're on the same page. And then wrapping up Tuesday, we got Minnesota in the Guaranteed Rate Bowl taking on West Virginia. West Virginia is 6-6 six and six by product. I'm going to go with Minnesota in the win here. Vegas is with me. They're favored by uh, four. Moving on to Wednesday. Um, we have the Wasabi, Wasabi Fenway Bowl, Virginia taking on SMU. I watched the ESPN Plus, um, little, like, hard knocks versions that they had with SMU. SMU's coach, I forget where he went, but he went on and got a better job, um, you know, on the show. They sang the song a lot. I didn't see a lot from him, but it was kind of cool to get a sneak peek behind them. So I thought I was going to pick, uh, SMU, but I'm actually taking Virginia, I like Bryce Armstrong. I think that offense is too deadly. Vegas agrees with me. They're favored by two. Next up, we have the New Era Pinstripe Bowl. Virginia Tech and Maryland. I'm going to go with Virginia Tech. I don't like the Terps, but the Terps are favored by one. 
We got Tua's little brother. Uh, I've been talking about him all year. Um, but Maryland's favored by one. Now we got the Cheez-Its Bowl. Iowa State Clemson. This is going to be a doozy. I think this is Bryce Purdy and Brees' Hall opportunity on the main stage to get the job done. I think they do. And Vegas is surprisingly with me. They're, they're favored by a point and a half. It's funny when you see a team like that favored against a 19th rank. It just shows you the rankings don't mean shit. And then the biggest bowl game. Mark this on your calendars. Wednesday, December 29th. Bob Stoops is back for the Valero Alamo Bowl. We got Oregon. We got Oklahoma in a little rematch. Bob Stoops lost to Oregon. You know he wants this. Somehow Oklahoma's favored by four and a half, but Oregon is vastly overrated. If we can stick to the run game like Utah did, it's going to be a blowout. I wish they were underdogs so I could make some money on this, but I'm going with Oklahoma. Moving into Thursday, before the New Year's weekend, we have South Carolina and North Carolina in the Dukes Mayo Bowl. I'm going to go with Sam Howell in North Carolina. Um, they're favored by nine, so Vegas is with me. Now we have the Trans Perfect Music City Bowl. Purdue taking on Tennessee. I like Purdue here. They got the big playmakers. I think they're going to get the job done. That's against Vegas. Vegas has Tennessee at four and a half. And this one was very interesting for me until I saw that uh, Kenneth Walker III isn't playing, so I feel better about my pick. But in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, Michigan State 10th rank taking on Pittsburgh 12th rank. This is Kenny Pickett's opportunity to shine, and boy, is he going to get the job done. I'm taking Pittsburgh. Vegas has Michigan State favored by two. I'm sure that'll change. Maybe not. And then um, Thursday night, we have Arizona State taking on Wisconsin in the SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl. These names are fucking funny, man. Uh, I'm going to go with Wisconsin. I don't like Arizona State that much. Uh, Jaden McDaniels is, is a stud. Uh, Jaden Daniels, or is it JT Daniels? The fuck? Yeah, Jaden Daniels, but um, yeah, I, I think Wisconsin's going to figure it out. Uh, Vegas is with me. They have Wisconsin favored by seven. Moving into Friday, uh, New Year's Eve. Early in the day, if you're hungover already for some reason, you get the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl, 25th ranked Texas A&M versus 17th ranked Wake Forest. It should be a high-scoring affair, but I'm going with Texas A&M. Vegas agrees. They got them by four and a half. Um, that morning, we also have the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. How does Tony the Tiger get a bowl game? It's not even a real fucking character. I don't know. Uh, but uh, Miami's taking on Washington State. I think Washington State's overrated. I think Miami's got their quarterback. Tyler Van Dyke really balled out uh, when he had the opportunity. Vegas agrees with me. Miami's favored by two and a half. Now we have the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl. Boise State taking on Central Michigan. I'm going to go with Boise. Vegas agrees they're favored by eight. That afternoon, we get the college uh, football playoff. We get the first-ranked Alabama Crimson Tide taking on Cincinnati and the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic. I'm going with Bama. Roll, Tide, roll. Vegas agrees 13 and a half. Would love to see Cincinnati, though. Shove it in my mouth. And then we have the college football semi-playoff at the Capital One Orange Bowl with Michigan, Georgia. This one's going to be closer than people think, but I'm going to go with Georgia. They're going to run and play defense just like Michigan does, but better. Uh, Vegas agrees they're favored by eight. We get an SEC championship. All of us football fans that are SEC fans are going to get wasted and not watch it, right? That's what I'm doing. Anyways, 2022, new year, new you. 
We get Arkansas, the 21st-ranked Arkansas, taking on Penn State. They dropped out of the rankings for the Outback Bowl. I'm going with Penn State. Sean Clifford's going to stay. He wants to do his thing. That team should be intact. Vegas agrees. They're favored by two and a half. Later that day, we have the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl. We have the fifth-ranked Notre Dame Fighting Irish taking on the ninth-ranked Oklahoma State squad. I'm going with the Big 12. I'm going with Oklahoma State. Vegas doesn't agree. They got Notre Dame by two. Then we have the VRBO Citrus Bowl. 22-ranked Kentucky taking on the 15-ranked Iowa and their no-offensive team. Because of that no-offensive team, I'm taking Kentucky. Vegas agrees. They got Kentucky by three. Later in that afternoon, this is a fun one. The Rose Bowl game presented by Capital One Venture X. They needed that money, baby. Uh, Sixth-ranked Ohio State taking on 11th-ranked Utah. As much as I'd like to pick Utah, I can't. I'm going with Ohio State. Vegas agrees. They're favored by six and a half. And then wrapping up your new year, if you're still hungover watching football, you got the All-State Sugar Bowl that evening. Eighth-ranked Ole Miss. Seventh-ranked Baylor. I don't think this will be that good. I'm going to go with Ole Miss. The line is even right now. I don't like Baylor that much. They did beat Oklahoma, though, so screw it. And then finally on Tuesday, how they have a game after this, I don't know, but they have the Tax Act Texas Bowl, Kansas State and LSU. I'm going with LSU. Vegas doesn't agree. They have Kansas State by one. It's going to be interesting to see who the hell is a part of that LSU team. So Vegas probably knows what they're talking about there. But let's talk UFC, baby. I feel like I've been talking about football all day. Well, Kevin Lee, of all the promotions, signs with Khabib and Eagle FC. And Ariel Hawani asked Kevin, is this a better situation than the UFC? He said, money, situation, everything, absolutely. It's going to be fun to see what Eagle FC does. He is going to be the new guy in a new weight class, 165 pounds. I'm all for it. Props to you, Kevin Lee. Cheers to that, my man. And because it's the end of the year, we have big cards. We have a lot of fights early next year. There's been no big fight announcements. But don't forget this weekend because um, what's his name pulled out? We get Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley, too. Woodley gets a $500,000 clause in his contract. If he knocks Jake Paul out, he gets an extra 500 Gs. I'm all for it. Hopefully it has him throwing some more punches this time. On that card, we get two ex-stud professional athletes. Darren Williams, he played for my Utah Jazz. I loved him. He was a top five point guard in his prime. And then you got Frank fucking Gore. That guy kept running until they told him to stop running. This guy is an animal. When you look at the physiques, Darren's a little bigger, probably in a little bit better shape. But Frank is a goddamn tank. I've seen him take hit after hit. I'm worried about his cardio. But I'm going to have to go Frank Gore. I mean, how can you fuck that guy up in a boxing bout? I don't know. But Darren Williams does love the UFC, does love boxing, mixed martial arts. He is doing a podcast. I'm sure he's been training. So he probably has the upper hand. I just don't know how you beat Frank Gore. He's an animal. So let's talk UFC 269. So I was 0 for 1, 1 and 1, 1 and 2, 2 and 2. Two and three, three and three, four and three, five and three, six and three, six and four, six and five. I was an even six and six on the night. I want no money, guys. When you see the biggest upset in all time, I'm a parlay guy, though. How do you win? I had fun. 
I bought people in my section shots. I had everyone screaming for the goddamn sugar show, baby. But starting in the early prelims, this card was yoked. I wanted to be there that early. I didn't quite make it until uh, right before the prelims. But we had Tony Kelly with a second round knockout over Randy Costa. You know, I picked Randy. I like Randy. He's a young little bantamweight prospect. But he got brought into a vet presence. And Kelly dominated this fight from the gate. Tony was pressuring and outclassing Costa. It makes me wonder, like, this kid's got a lot of work to do. Uh, he was able to make it out of the first round, but was finished in the second. Statistically, Kelly had 129 total and significant strikes versus Costa's 32 total and significant. Now, this is a pretty tough loss for Costa. He shows that he has a lot of room to grow. It starts a two-fight winning streak for Kelly, and he is uh, a two-fight losing streak for Costa. Up next for Kelly... Let's give him some tough guys. I could see him taking on Ricky Tarusios, who won the Ultimate Fighter this season. And for Costa, let's give him an Ultimate Fighter consolation. He could take on Brady Heaston, the young stud out of Spokane. Next up, we had Ryan Hall with the unanimous decision over Derek Minner. Really, like I said, this is what we want to know. Can we see some striking from Hall? Is he going to be a fighter? Is he going to be a crazy motherfucker jujitsu guy that's not going to go up the rankings? Well, we did get to see some some showcasing of some striking early on in the fight, but then he turned it into a grappling match. Statistically, Hall landed 163 total and 40 significant strikes and seven submission attempts versus Minner's 56 total, 26 significant, and a takedown. This starts a new winning streak for Hall. And for Minner, it's a two-fight losing streak. I say for Hall, let's give him Andre Feely or Zabira Tukagov. For Minner, maybe Kevin Aguilar. That makes sense moving forward. And then we have the young women. Two young, young prospects with lots of potential. I didn't think this girl was ready, but Aaron Blanchfield with the unanimous decision over, over a very good Miranda Maverick. I mean, at 22 years old, did Aaron make a fucking impression, man? Against a very good Maverick. She grappled her way to victory. Uh, it kind of like boosts her little phenom capability. Like you almost got to put her into that. She's beating that high level competition that the UFC has already. Statistically, she had 96 total and 46 significant strikes with seven takedowns and a submission attempt versus Miranda's 42 total and 21 significant. Now Miranda is on a two fight losing streak. She's fought two badass young women. Erin, she's on a five-fight winning streak with two of those now in the UFC. Up next for Erin, I'd love to see her take on Casey O'Neill since she's already lost to Tracy Cortez and Invicta because she's right above her in the rankings. And they're not ranked, but like potential rankings. And for Miranda, a fight against Montana De La Rosa would be sufficient. Give her a vet. Try to get her back on track. That's what makes sense. And then we had... Andre Munez with a first-round submission via armbar versus Eric Anders. We talked about Eric being an old football player for Bama. But this fight didn't last long as Munez had a game plan. He's like, yo, I'm taking this big fucking buff motherfucker to the ground. And he did it quickly. Eric could only land three strikes while Munez had two takedowns and two submission attempts. Munez is now on an eight-fight winning streak. Four of those in the UFC since his Dana White Contender Series win. And Anders starts a new losing streak and has only won one of his last four fights. Up next, I'd love to see this fight. 
Give me Muniz versus Nasruddin Amavov as he's ranked number 13 after being unranked, and Amavov is right there. For Anders, I think Carl Robertson, that would be a banger of a fight. That would be fun for everyone. And this is where shit started getting wild, man. Seeing this guy in person, the Barbie doll, I'm a Barbie girl, walk out, him doing the shoey, tie to Avasa with a second round knockout over Augusto Sakai. Yes, I pick Sakai, but I'm a Tua Vasa fan, right? I try to be unbiased here. I mean, Ty just keeps proving me wrong. The Shuey in person was a blast. Uh, watching Steve will do it and everyone just go wild. It was, a, it was a crowd favorite. There was a guy next to me that did a Shuey. I was videoing Ty, a guy in my other aisles doing a Shuey. Shit was nuts. This is the best win, hands down, of Ty's career. And he took it to Sakai. He took it to a very good Sakai. I picked Sakai confidently because of the level of competition and durability he showcased throughout his career at heavyweight. It just shows the fucking power Ty has in those fucking hands, man. Um, Ty was willing to walk Sakai down and bring the fight to him, which to me was a little bit of a shocker, especially as a shorter fighter. I didn't expect that to happen. But statistically, Ty landed 44 total and 34 significant strikes to Sakai's 40 total and 21 significant. This now puts uh, Augusto on a three-fight losing streak. He drops to number 12. He stays in the rankings. While Ty is rocket-shipping himself to success with four knockouts in a row, and he finds himself at number 11 after being unranked. Next up, could you imagine? Ty Tuavasa and Jarzinho Rosenstrike or Alexander Volkov. He's up there with the big boys now. Shit's going to get wild. And for Sakai, I'd love to see him versus Walt Harris, another vet who's been there trying to find his way back into the win column. That makes sense to me. And this only started the night for chaos. Then we had this fight. Dominic Cruz with unanimous decision over Pedro Munoz. And this shit was bonkers out the gate. The question for me was like, can Cruz take the shots needed? And honestly, does he still got it? Right, it's been injury, it's been layoff, it's been injury, it's been layoff, it's been, you know, I need the right fights. And he's one of my favorite fighters, so I'm a fan, I'm rooting for him, I want to believe he can. But when it comes to me giving you guys the best analytical shit I can, and trying to make a little bit of dough, I was concerned. We'll say that. But I stuck with Dom, I put him on my bets even though I didn't win. And I was honestly surprised by the lack of kicks from Pedro. What had had him looking good throughout the past few fights was all those fucking leg and calf kicks. And maybe it's the foot movement of Dom, but um, I was a little surprised by that. He landed a shot early, though, that literally fucked Cruz up, put him on his back in the replay. It looked like his eyes rolled back. He bounced back, somehow found a leg, was able to regroup and continue. I was like, damn, so what happens now? And Dom just looked more refreshed as the fight went. He was able to show his heart and determination of still wanting to be at that high level, right? You don't get sat down, boom, up against the cage, eyes rolled back, come here and say, fucking let's go, if you don't have that heart and determination. So I think he showed a lot to the fans. Um, statistically, Cruz landed 105 total and 103 significant strikes with the takedown versus Pedro's 79 and 70, 79 total and 74 significant strikes with the knockdown. Really what it came to is I think even though Pedro knocked Cruz down, he was able to keep it a one-round fight. 
He got a two uh, two point advantage in the second round from clear domination and won the third. So that's how he got the unanimous decision. I think a lot of people were surprised. The people, some guys behind me thought Pedro had still won, but nah, it was Dom's fight. I'm a little worried though about Dom's durability and his chin. He's taken a lot of fucking shots. He's been in a lot of wars. He's been fighting for a long time. Um, his post-fight words about us coming together were fantastic, though, and I think should be heard and replayed by everyone. I fully agree. This is a time we have to come together. I talked to multiple people in the pod or in the uh, UFC 269 arena. I was selling myself. I'm talking about the podcast. Oh, you guys are MMA fans. I love talking MMA. Like you could see the passion I have for it. I was in there. I wanted to be everyone's like, you know, chauffeur and just talk about everything. And, um, I had multiple dudes that are, you know, mid twenties, a little younger than me, man. That sounds so cool. It takes so many, so much confidence and courage to run a podcast. I'd love to do that someday. I was like, Hey man, here's my information. I'd love to help. Right. I did this all by myself. No help from anyone. Shout out to JX from the Timbo Sugar Show. I DM'd him some questions. He helped me out a little bit. Uh, the Jordan Leffler brothers, you know, that's all the help I need. They're a fucking amazing setup. But if you guys ever need help, let me know. But that's we all got to be in this together. There's enough success around for everyone. Let's fucking help each other out. Dominic Cruz, fucking hats off. Tap uh, Tip of the cap to you. Well, we look at it now, though. Pedro's on a two-fight losing streak. He has now lost four of his last five. He does only drop two spots to number 10 because Dom was ranked. But he's in a tough situation. For Dom, he's on a two-fight winning streak. What's big is it's two fights in 2021. It wasn't like two fights in three years. Um, he says he wants to be more active. Um, up next, based on what I know of Dom, I think that he only wants to fight higher-ranked opponents. And, you know... He's earned it, honestly. Because of where he's at, I think he will fight Corey Sandhagen. Corey was on the MMA Hour talking about he'd be open to it. Or Jose Aldo, if TJ Dillashaw does get the, let's say Aljo and Peter Jan's officially booked, to me, it should be TJ. He was the old title holder. I know people want to bitch about the EPO and bitch about the, the shit, but he's proved that he is the best fighter. He should be deserving of it, in my opinion. If they do make him and TJ battle it out for the true number one, that's fine. But if they if they don't, I would say Jose would be an amazing fight. As a fight fan, these are two guys, WEC, two fucking legends. But if not, Dom versus Corey, bring it on. For Pedro, he's desperate for a win. I would like to see him versus Songi Dong, the young fucking stud. That would be a great matchup. Banger alert for sure. And I think it would be, be a win-win for everyone. And then we get this motherfucker, man. I said that this would probably be fight of the night, and it was close, too. We had Josh Emmett, Mr. Fucking Clean, back for a unanimous decision over Dan Ige. Like I said, I had picked this for a potential fight of the night, and it, it fucking delivered. We haven't seen this guy in almost two years. But he looked tough. He looked durable. After all the knee surgeries he had, he had a complication recovery. He thought he'd come back. He couldn't. But he looks just so fucking big and powerful for his weight class. You know, he's a little bit older, too. I'm sure the weight cuts are a bitch or whatever. But both fighters had their moments here and came forward. But you could tell the power difference with Mr. Clean. It would, he was just hitting different. And that's a lot to say about 50K Danny Gay. His nickname's 50K for a reason. But statistically, Emmett landed 62 total and 60 significant strikes with a knockdown. 
versus Ige's 73 total and 70 significant with a, with a takedown. Emmett is now on a four-fight winning streak and needs to get the attention he deserves. He moves up one spot to number six. Ige, he's lost some serious momentum now, losing two in a row, but he stays at number nine. Next for Emmett, let's get the banger that we all want and give this motherfucker the Korean zombie. Can you imagine that fight? Let's go. And for Ige, I think Sadiq Youssef would be a must-fucking-see and a, a, a fight-of-the-night-capable, award-winning fight as well. So let's fucking get it on. But that's all prelims. That's a fucking UFC card right there. And we just hit the main card. So it's time for the fucking Sugar Show. Oh, man. The way, you know, he came out to an unreleased 6 uh, 9 song. It was all fucked up, supposedly, and the, the censorship. But it was still cool. It was fun to see how big of a fucking fan base he has. And that's why I was yelling. I was so excited. You know, where we come from, the small towns of Montana, like I tell everyone, I'm, I'm your biggest fan, right? I'm, if you could do something that's hard to do, have the will, the determination to do it, you know, we're in the world that we can follow people doing that. And it's just fun to see, um, you know, he's surrounding himself with the right people. It's just really cool to see it happening. And he gets the first round knockout over Haulian Peva, who said he would knock him out and bring the fight to him. What a performance. The Sugar Show was in full effect. And he surprised me, to be honest. And then they come and say that he had, uh, Tim said he had a, a big rib injury. It doesn't seem like it was a fractured or broken rib, just a really deep, Brid, uh, rib bruise and that he was having difficulties with training. He wasn't grappling and doing the typical things that he would do leading up to the fight. Um, but this to me was the toughest, te toughest test for the sugar show. I know all the analysts have been saying the same thing, but he made it look easy. Um, everyone says that I want to come and take him down and I want to pressure him. But Sean, like Corey has that long lanky shit and he won't let you come in. They're so, pre so precise, so quick. It's not that easy. Um, really it was the length, the speed and the precision, but Sean, it only took him 40 total strikes and 39 significant strikes in a knockdown and Pava only landed 11 total, uh, and significant strikes on the night. Now Pava starts a new losing streak while the sugar show is on a three fight winning streak, even though he's undefeated, you know, that one fight shouldn't have counted, but, um, he's not unranked anymore, so he can't be the unranked champ. But he moves up to number 13, well-deserved. Last week, Adrian Yanez called him out. Sean, before even fighting his own fight, said I'd be open to that in March and April. But he's brought it up since, and Yanez doesn't seem to want to have that smoke. So if that doesn't happen, I think the Sugar Show will fight Marlon Vera in the rematch or Frankie Edgar. Um, but it should be Adrian Yanez. We'll see if he takes it or not. For Pava, I think Casey Kenny or Rayoni Barcelos makes a lot of sense. Um, each fight's a son of a bitch. The bantamweight class is no joke. And that's why I talk about guys like Randy Costa, Tony Kelly, those guys early in the bantamweight and lightweight. They're just lightweight class. They're so deep. And these are the guys that are going to be up top in the future anyways. Then we move on. The upset pick of the night. I wish I put a lot more money on this fight. Kai Carr of France with the... Fr I bet all these second round knockouts. Right, Ty Tuavasa, first round, I bet second round. Sean O'Malley, I, I bet second round, it was first round. Kai Carter, I bet second round, it was first round. So I just kind of catch a break. But the first round knockout over Cody, no chin, Garbrandt. And I, as, as I expected, it was literally Cody's chin was gone. 
It's crazy he technically isn't even in his fighting prime. He's only 30 years old. But when you put yourself in those high levels, I mean, he was fighting TJ at what, 27? I mean, he was creme de la creme at a young age. And, you know, I don't know what he's going through. That's like me, you know, being so good and living for one thing and just you taking that away from me almost. You go to the new class, that's supposed to be your moment. You get knocked out like that. Yeah, I don't know. It's got to be a lot for him. But what but a, what a big win for Kai Kara France. You know, Cody never really had a chance to get going. And France went in for the kill, man. You don't see a lot of flyweights being able to knock someone out. But you don't see a lot of people with no chins like that, right? <laughs> uh, Kai had 23 total insignificant strikes with two takedowns versus Cody's nine total insignificant. Cody is now on a two-fight losing streak and has lost five of his last six since beating Dom um, for the title back in the day. You know, him and his camp studied Dom forever, got the, the dub. It is what it is. Uh, but he moves out of the rankings now. I'm assuming he's going to take some time to decide what's next. I don't know. I mean, you lose that fight in flyweight. Like, do you really want to fight flyweight? I would assume the, the weight cut wasn't easy. So, yeah, I'm not too sure what's next for him. Uh, but for Kai... He's won two in a row. He wants a shot at the title. He, they said, you brought Cody in here. He wins this. He gets a shot at the title. I'm deserving. I don't agree. You cannot leapfrog Askar Askarov or Alexander Pantoja in my, in my, in my mind. So I think he'll have to fight one of them first. Um, Askar has already talked about you know fighting him. So I think that's the fight to make. Uh, but you got to have a fight again before you go straight to the title. And another fucking banger of a fight, man. This was so hard to pick for me, and um, it, it was just a cool fight to see. But Jeff Neal, the only split decision of the night, gets a split decision over Santiago Ponzinibbio. I mean, this was a back-and-forth fight every single round. I could just I just remember being like, fuck. I was telling her, could you imagine judging this? That's what I kept telling people. Could you imagine like having to have a fucking score on this fight? And sure, they have the stats of landed strikes, significant strikes, that probably makes it a little easier. But I, I believe the difference truly was Neil having momentum towards the end of the fight and finishing stronger the last minute. I remember the last minute being like, whoever fucking comes out strong here is going to win it. I think that was what, what caught it. And this is the biggest win in Neil's career, in my opinion. This is a big win for him. Like, it's a proven, durable, hard-hitting vet. Statistically, Santiago landed 91 total and significant strikes with the takedowns. Compared to Neil's 86 total and significant. You know, it sucks to see someone had to lose this fight. I feel like both fighters gave it everything they fucking had. But this starts a new winning streak for Neil. He stays at number 12. And Ponzinibbio starts a new losing streak. He has now dropped two of his last three. He does stay in the rankings at number 14, which I think was a good call. Up next, I would love to see what Neil can do against Li Jingliang or Michael Chiesa. Uh, for C Santiago, I think Ruthless Robbie Lawyer would be the fight to make and a goddamn banger. Shelby, Dana, whoever, that's the fight to make. Uh, but yeah, it was a great fight, and it led us up to the biggest moments of the night. The energy in the arena when Nunez came in, you could tell there was no doubt in anyone's mind that she was going to get the job done. And the first round was a completely different story than the second. But Juliana Pena with the second round submission over the GOAT, Amanda Nunez. And I can't believe I witnessed this shit live. The scene in T-Mobile, the energy in T-Mobile. 
Like I said, I felt like I was in Madison Square Garden watching something like the Thrilla in Manila. Like that was history. History was made. I was there. But bravo to Juliana Pena, the Venezuelan vixen. Fucking bravo. And from what it looked like to me, it was wild that Nunez in the first round wasn't as aggressive and didn't go for the finish. She was on top. I felt like she was kind of playing with her food and uh, trying to send a message. But that's what happens in the fight game. Second round, her coach must have been like, hey, we had a plan. You did not do any of it in the first round. Let's fucking go. And that's what happened. Pena brought the fucking fight, all the smack talk, all the everything. I mean, she's been wanting this and talking shit for years. And she brought it. Nunez got tired. I felt like Nunez was like panic striking. Once you get panicked, you don't know what to do. So you try to like, oh, I could strike her off of me. And Pena just kept coming. And I felt like she was so mentally defeated that by the time Pena was in and, you know, we want to call it a rear naked choke, I'd call it like a headlock. She just tapped. Like it was, I don't feel like it was under. She had no, um, she had no hooks or legs in. So it didn't really make sense to me. And I'm watching up in this, you know, level 200. So watching on TV, you guys will get a lot more view. I would have to buy the pay-per-view after spending all the money for the ticket and shit to watch the replay. And I don't care enough. But I would love to watch that fight back to see what the fuck was going on. Because I felt like in person and what my memory, you know, pretty buzzed up at this time too. But I felt like she was playing with her food in the first. She got fucking caught in the second. And hey, you know, I don't know if it's like the new motherhood and she didn't push herself as hard. But I guarantee you she comes back and fucking knocks out Pena in the first or second. They already talked about the immediate rematch. Pena is open to it, which is awesome. Nunez wants to do it. So I'd imagine that it happens relatively soon. And now we have the free agency uh, happening with uh, Kayla Harrison from PFL. So shit's about to get interesting. But statistically, Pena had 90 total and 79 significant strikes with a takedown and a submission attempt versus Nunez 58 total and 46 significant strikes with a takedown. But up next, it's simple. Easy enough, we get the immediate rematch. If Nunez didn't get a rematch, I'd almost riot. Like, that's almost, you know, that's just complete disrespect. And then the main event, man. Like, my heart's broken for Dustin. Because I've become such I've become such a fan of his. But how can you not love fucking Charles Oliveira, man? including myself and I'm sure a lot of other people have discredited Charles and not given him the credit where credit's due. But he finished Dustin in the third round with a submission to stay and still in the toughest division in the world, the UFC champion. You know, in my mind, it was always Dustin. He went and took the money fight, but he was the champion. Now, I mean, Charles is the fucking champion, man. And, uh... All the chaos that had pursued that night, Charles didn't let it get to him. I mean, I, I don't think he's probably paying attention or whatever. But being a fan in that arena and seeing all this, like, I remember the next day I was like, man, can we just rewind to last night and do it all over again? If you haven't seen live fighting, it's one of the coolest things. Women, men, you like, you don't like. Everyone has a good fucking time. But this fight, much like the Pena and Nunez fight, the first round was completely different than the rest of the fight. I mean, Dustin was out striking Charles. He even scored a knockdown. I was like, okay. I had put money on the fourth and fifth, and it was fat payouts. I was like, cool, this is looking good. 
But then Charles was able to get comfortable. He got on top. He rode out Dustin to exhaustion. You know, I don't know what was going through Dustin's head. Like, Charles is a motherfucker on the ground. So maybe you couldn't create separation. But I felt like he was okay to finish out the round and go on. But his energy wasn't okay from that. Um, Statistically, Dustin landed 69 total and 58 significant strikes with the knockdown. And Charles had 98 total and 73 significant strikes with three submission attempts. Dustin told Ariel on the MMA Hour, Thug Knows, uh, that he doesn't think he'll ever cut to 155 again. Um, So I think, you know, he said it wasn't a hard weight cut, so he's not discrediting that. But at the age that he's at, the you know, the with all the things that he's done, why suffer and cut? And that makes sense. But there's no 165 in the UFC. So, yeah, things are going to get interesting. I, I don't, you know, props to Dustin for coming on live podcast, TV, whatever you want to call it, and be able to talk that soon after a loss. You could see the raw emotion. It got me a little emotional, to be honest. When someone lives for such a goal and you come short of that goal, like, it fucking breaks you, man. And, uh, yeah, props to him for doing that. But I don't necessarily believe that until later down the road and he still agrees. Now he's on Twitter talking to Diaz. He says, it's the only fight that interests me. And they're potentially rumoring that at, in January. You know, I think Dustin easily wins that fight. It's going to be a fun fight. The hype videos will be fun. So I hope that does happen. More money for him. Um, but when it comes to, like, really what's next for him, I'm not sure. You know, he starts a new losing streak uh, after his three-fight winning streak and moves to number two. Uh, but if he really, truly does not fight in that weight class again, like, no one really knows what's next. Um, if I were to guess, and he, and he did move up, a Jorge Masvidal, a Gilbert Burns could make sense. But it is too early to tell, and we can't take his emotions for, like, validation of what's next, right? Us fans, we always want to know what's next. What's the next thing? But these guys are humans. They go through so much, they can't even think about it this time. Uh, but Charles, dude, his fucking reign continues. And he's now on a 10-fight winning streak. I mean, you know, he probably does get enough credit. I don't internally give him enough credit. And you know what's funny is he's probably going to fight Gaethje, and I'm going to pick Gaethje. You know, Dustin showed and, and Chandler showed he can get hit. He's taking some hits. And Gaethje's a motherfucker. So what's the game plan? I don't know, but I expect that to be next. You know, there's rumors of McGregor, but if they gave him the McGregor fight, bravo to you, Charles, you get a payday. But that is so fucked up for the rest of the fighters, including Justin. So I hope that that does not happen, but who knows? But it's going to be funny if I do. If it is Justin, I pick Justin, Charles wins. God damn. But this is the toughest weight class in the UFC. Anything is possible. But hey, it's Thursday night. Sorry, I got to look at that uh, NFL score real quick. We got Thursday Night Football. It was a close game. I'd like to know who win. As that loads, though, we got more fights this week. And it's a solid card before a big break. the big A bigger break than we're used to. So enjoy the fights while they're here. The main card starts at 4 p.m. Pacific on ESPN+. And I'll be coming back from the ski hill to tune in. Um, but in the prelims, there's really only one prelim fight I care about. And we got Raquel Rocky Pennington, the 33-year-old fighter uh, with a 12-9 and record and the number 8 next to her name, taking on Macy Chiasin, the 30-year-old fighter with an 8-1 and record and the number 10 next to her name. 
Two vets in the sport, two badass women in the prelims. When we look at Pennington, she has a, box, a boxing background. She's come from Invicta. She's been on The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, if you don't know, she's married to Tisha Torres, the tiny tornado. Little fucking badass. Uh, but she's on a two-fight winning streak. When we look at Macy, she's a tough alum as well, a veteran of the sport. She's also on a two-fight winning streak. And she has a four-and-a-half-inch reach advantage, which is pretty good amount of reach. I do like Pennington striking better. Uh, if Macy can win ugly, which that's the way she wins and gets it to the mat, grinds Raquel out, she definitely could win. This is a tough fight to pick, but I'm going to go with the toughness and the sharpness of Rocky Pennington. What I saw her deliver versus Penny Kianzad in September really made me a believer. So I'm going with Raquel. We got to make Vegas money out. Put this shit on the parlay, mark it down, and let's get that bread. And then the main card, some more vets. We get Cub Swanson, 38 years old, with a 27-12 and 12 record, taking on Darren the Damage Elkins, 37 years old, with a 27-9 and 9 record. Cub, you know, he's coming off a loss against Giga, his coming out party in May. 12 of his 27 wins are via knockout. He is a black belt in BJJ. He's a, he's a true vet to the UFC. You know, he's come in from the WC. He's fought a, different, a few different weight classes. Meanwhile, Elkins, he does have a D2 wrestling background. He's got a brown belt in BJJ, and he's on a two-fight winning streak. It's going to be a motherfucker, but I do think Cub gets the job done here as he's just fought tougher competition. And uh, he's been through injuries. He's been through a lot, so has Elkins. But I think I like Cub's advantage on the feet. I'm taking Cub. I'm putting him on that parlay, and we getting that bread. Another vet fight. We have Diego Fijeta, 36 years old, with a 17-4 and record and a number 12 next to his name, taking on Matuz Gamer Gamrot, 31 years old, with a sterling 19-1 and record. Now, this is going to be a fun one and a big test for Gamrot. Fieta is a third-degree black belt in BJJ. He's on a two-fight losing streak, but we're talking against savages. Gregor Gillespie, Benil Dariush, and all of those happened this year. So you know he wants that sour taste out of his mouth. He wants to come back even stronger and better. He's game. He's wanting to bounce back. He does have a three-and-a-half-inch advantage. And Gamrot, he trains out of ATT. He's on a he's a black belt in BJJ. He's on a two-fight winning streak and is two and three in the UFC. I think this will be a close fight, but I think Fiat is just too talented to lose this fight. I'm going with them. I'm putting him on my parlay, checking him down, and we getting that bread. Then we got a little little young bull versus old bull. We have Rafael Asuncao, 39 years old, with a 27 and 8 record. And the number 12 next to his name, taking on Ricky Simone, 29 years old with an 18 and 3 record. This is going to be a fun fight. Different styles, so it's hard to pick. Well, that's what makes MMA fucking beautiful. Rafael is a Southpaw fighter with backgrounds in Muay Thai and BJJ. And he's got a black belt in BJJ. He's on a three fight losing streak and hasn't fought in over a year. 10 of his 27 wins are via submission, and he has a two and a half inch reach advantage. While Simone, he's a brown belt in BJJ. He's on a three fight winning streak. 
and he has a wrestling background and wanted to do collegiate wrestling, but ended up coming into MMA. I like the younger bull here. You know, what's tough when you're a wrestling guy that you do have a Sun Sal, he's a brown belt, but a Sun Sal's, you know, he, he's got some game. So it's going to be close. But I'm putting Ricky in my parlay. I'm coming back with a vengeance. Mark that is down. Let's get that bread. Then we got some women coming out. Some vets. This is the vet card. We got Amanda Lemos, 34 years old, with a 10-1-1 record and the number 11 next to her name, taking on Angela Overkill Hill, 36 years old, with a 13-10 record and the number 12 next to her name. Lemos is now on a four-fight winning streak since going to strawweight. Seven of her ten wins are via knockout. Meanwhile, Hill, she trains out of Alliance MMA. She is a tough alum and an OGs to women UFC. She also fought in Invicta. She's on a one-fight losing streak and has lost three of her last four against very good competition. I like the aggressiveness and all-around ability of Hill here. This is her like shining moment opportunity. And I think uh, this is Lemos' toughest competition to date. So I'm taking Angela, the big dog, the big Vegas underdog. I'm confidently putting her in my parlay. And we getting that bread, baby. Moving on. We got this motherfucker of a fight. We got Steven Wonderboy Thompson, 38 years old, with a 16-5-1 record and the number five next to his name. He's taking on Bilal. Remember the name Muhammad, 33 years old, with a 19-3 and record and the number 10 next to his name. This is going to be a very fun and intense fight. Bilal is in his prime, and Wonderboy, as we know, he's like the true vet, but he still loves to fight. You could see it. He's fighting at a very high level. Bilal, he's a purple belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight winning streak. You know, he's won five of his last six, and then he had the no-contest eye poke from... Uh, Leon Edwards. I thought Leon Edwards was on his way to a dominant victory, though. Wonder Boy, as you should know, he's got a kickboxing background. He's got a fifth-degree black belt in Tetsushin Ryu Kimo, uh, Kempo, a first-degree black belt in Jujutsu, ju like the American version of Jujutsu, a black belt in kickboxing, and a brown belt in Brazilian Jujutsu. He does have a three-inch reach advantage in this fight. He's on a one-fight losing streak, but to a very good Gilbert Burns. I mean, Muhammad, he's a solid fighter, but I don't believe he's on Wonderboy's level. I think there's great fighters and contender fighters. Bilal's a great fighter. Wonderboy's a contender fighter. Even though he's older, he's still a motherfucker. And I'm putting the Wonderboy on my parlay. We marking him down, and we getting that bread. And then we have the, the, the main event of the evening. We have Derek the Black Beast Lewis, 36 years old with a 25-8 and record and the number three next to his name, taking on Chris Dawkins, 28 years old with the 12-3 uh, record and the number seven next to his name. Now, there never lacks excitement when my balls is hot, Lewis takes foot in the octagon. Uh, Lewis, he's a blue belt in BJJ. He's got a three-inch reach advantage. He's on a one-fight losing streak, and 20 of his 25 wins are via knockout. Now, Dawkins, he's a black belt in BJJ. 11 of his 12 wins are via knockout. And he's on a five-fight winning streak with four of them being in the UFC. 
Both fighters have fought twice this year. Every time Lewis fights, we know he has his weaknesses, but we know at any second he can lure you in and put your fucking lights out. I like the footwork and quickness of Dacus. In this fight, I think he's going to stay at range. He's going to fight smart. So I'm going to go with him. I'll put Dacus on that fucking parlay. I'm marking him down. Getting revenge, baby. We getting that bread. It's the last fight for a, for a while. We get four weeks off. In the UFC today, it's every single Sunday, Saturday. So we get four weeks off for another fight night. Headlined by Giga Chikadze and Calvin Cater. What a banger. Early start 2022. Let's fucking go. We ain't done yet. We got some hardwood talk. We got some NBA. We look at the NBA. It's a weird time. Not going to lie. With COVID protocols, like I can't even like look at betting on games. Shit's pretty savage, to be honest. When we look at the standings, nothing's like really jumps out. You know, we look at it. It's like, uh, you know, are we really shocked that Brooklyn's number one in the East? Not really. Milwaukee's two, Chicago's three. The Cavs hanging in there. I'm going to have to start breaking down NBA teams because this Cav team's pretty fucking fun. You got Miami five, Charlotte six, Washington seven, Phillies dropped to eight, Atlanta nine, Boston 10. And the West, your top three, Golden State, Phoenix, Utah, Memphis somehow still in there with four with Jaw being out so long. The Clippers, the Lakers, Mavs seven, Nuggets eight, Timberwolves nine, Kings 10, Spurs and Blazers right outside. So, I mean, you know, there's, it's still so early. I feel like the regular season doesn't truly begin until Christmas, personally. Right? We've had some lockout years, some delayed years, and uh, I just feel like there's not a lot of dead space like there is now when that had happened. But we look since last week's games. We look at Wednesday. Mm, we had the Heat beating the Sixers on the road, 101-96. They went to 17-12, and the Sixers 15-14. and Dwayne Dedman leading the way. 10 points, 14 rebounds, 5 assists. Tyrese Maxey stepping up, 27-3-5. The Lakers beat the Mavs in overtime. Uh, Russell Westbrook um, with the buzzer beater. He went 23-10-9 in overtime. No um, Luka, Jalen Bronson, 25-3-9. The Jazz smoked the Clippers. I don't know if that's a surprise. The Grizzlies beat the Blazers on the road. Desmond Bain, 23-6-4. What a season that young man's having. Norman Powell, 25-6-5. But you look through, I mean, there hasn't been a lot of action. Like, the Warriors beating the Knicks, that doesn't surprise me. The Suns had to go to OT to beat the Blazers. CP3 was 24-8-14. Dame Dalla, 31-2-10. But there hasn't been a lot worth, like, really talking about in the NBA. The headlines are more important to me. Steve Kerr, no Coach K. He's coaching Team USA. What a fucking accolade he gets to add to his resume. I mean, <laughs> the fucking Pelicans, man. Zion Williamson, he's going to be reevaluated re four to six weeks, but that pushes you out till January. Most likely, though, the rumor is that he's going to be shut down. I don't know what happens at the situation. Like, I knew he was overhyped, and, you know, everyone thought he was the next Michael or like LeBron James or something. But uh, this really fucks our franchise, so they better hope something comes of it. What a good story here, local to the Seattle area. Isaiah Thomas gets to go to a G League showcase. He hoops. He drops 42. The Lakers sign him just today. 
What a cool fucking story. I hope he fucking balls out. I hope he returns to relevance. Why he's never gotten a shot, I'm honestly kind of perplexed. But I'm so pumped that he gets a shot to shine. I knew this instantly once Danny Hayden's left. But the Jazz officially hired Danny Ainge as the CEO. He's got some weird titles. But it's so cool to see Ryan Smith, Dwayne Wade, that ownership group, realize, you know, we're the small market team. We have the team to do it. We need everything to go right. We need the right leadership. They were able to take a step back to bring in Danny Ainge. I hope it works out. But great hire by Utah. And then Steph Curry, all-time leader in threes. He could officially be the best shooter ever. We already knew it, but he could officially say it. Bravo, Steph Curry. Fucking bravo, man. I'll never forget the days in Davidson. We all wanted to know, what's the potential? What's the potential? What can he do? And I never would have thought this had happened. I couldn't root for him when KD bandwagon to that team because they were so loaded. But now that they're not so loaded, I fucking love every single moment of it. It's great to see. Now, let's talk a little college ball. A little bit more action. Not a lot going on in the headlines, but we got the new rankings coming out. I have my overrateds, underrateds. Per usual, I have more overrated than underrated. It's early. Alabama, still up there. Number six. Come on. You cannot tell me Alabama is the sixth best team in the country. You take them head-to-head on with Villanova, with Iowa State, with Michigan State, with Ohio State, Seton Hall. I, I'm not having it. Same with Arizona. Well, these are solid teams. They could probably be in the latter half, but Arizona number eight, not having it. They haven't played anybody. I think Auburn at 13 is overrated. USC, I think they're overrated. The Pac-12, I mean, come on, let's be honest here. And then you have LSU. LSU is number 19. They're 9-0. They haven't had a lot of proof in the pudding. I think they're overrated as well. Underrated. I'm a little biased here. Villanova at 9 I say they're overrated because I think they're better than Arizona, Kansas, and Bama. So at least they're deserving of that. I think Kentucky's a little underrated. Those A lot of freshmen on that team, as the season goes by, they're going to improve. I also think that North Carolina being out of the rankings is underrated. Again, a lot of young kids, the season's going to go on. They're only going to get better. But let's talk about what's happened since last week. Anything noteworthy? Any, any crazy games? You know, usually you have these holiday classics. Then you have the holidays, and then it's conference play. So we're about to buckle up for conference play. But Wednesday, since the pod, West Virginia did upset UConn. I've always liked me some UConn. They've had some tough games. RJ Cole, he had 14 points um, in the defeat. But it was really the, the leadership. There's a lot of leaders for West Virginia. I think they're kind of a low-key team. They have Taj Sherman. He's a senior. He led the way. He had um, 23 points, 6 rebounds. They still got this guy. They still got Sean McNeil. He's also a senior. He pulled up with 16 points. So they were able to get the victory. Close victory to UConn, though. I think that's an testament to UConn. I think we'll see West Virginia as a tournament scrappy team. They just don't have that overall potential. They have a lot of seniors. Other than that, nothing crazy that had happened on Wednesday. Moving into Thursday... Purdue, number one, first time in school history, and they lose to fucking Rutgers. This had happened during the Steelers game. We had it up at the sportsbook uh, circa. Uh, Jadane Ivey had 15 points, but it was all about Ronnie Harp or Ron Harper Jr., who had 30 points, 10 rebounds. 
Um, he's the senior for Rutgers, and they got the job done. And Purdue didn't last long at one. It's tough to be one in the country. Everyone's shooting for you. Uh, Seton Hall at 23 beats Texas. You know, I've always talked about Texas being overhyped. I thought last year with Mobley and some of the young talent, they had true potential. This year, I just don't like their offense. I've, I feel like I watched this game for nine minutes before a fucking basket. I had taken Seton Hall with a three-and-a-half-point spread. They won by four, but I lived bet it with the Jazz winning by six. They blew out the Sixers that night, and the Steelers winning. The Steelers didn't win, so I didn't win shit. Um, but uh, Seton Hall able to pull through. Moving into the weekend, nothing on Friday. Saturday, UCLA beat Marquette 67 to 56. Uh, Jaime, Jaime Hawkins Jr., 24 and 11. Greg Elliott for Marquette, 22 and 3 in defeat. Uh, Alabama beats Houston. Alabama's ninth. Houston's ranked 14. Alabama was led by, or excuse me. Houston was led by Marcus Saucer with 25 points. Um, last year, they had Quentin Grimes, the Kansas transfer. Uh, now it's all in-house guys. And then Alabama was led by Jawan Gary with 19 points. Uh, Shackleford had 18. And Javon Quinterly, the Nova transfer, was 17-8 and eight in the victory. It was a one-point game. Uh, Notre Dame upsets Kentucky. Um, I don't even remember this game. so, um, But Kentucky was led by... Oscar Schwebe, however you say his name, he had 25 and 7. Uh, Notre Dame just had a solid team performance. Young kids, right? Um, Oklahoma get upset by uh, Oklahoma by 22. Elijah Harkless, 21 and 11. Arkansas was led by Devontae Davis, 26, 5 and 3. Um, let's see. Expected wins. Ohio State beat 20 run, 21st ranked Ohio State. Be 2022nd Wisconsin by 20 points. Uh, EJ Liddell, per usual, putting the show on his back, 28 and 9 in the victory. And then Johnny Davis for Wisconsin, Wisconsin, 24 and 7. And then Creighton upset BYU by 12. Uh, Ryan Hawkins at 25, 8 and 1. And Johnny Davis in Wisconsin, they lost, but he had 24 and 7. And this was on Saturday. Yeah, I don't, I don't even think I looked at the box scores. I was at UFC having too much of a good time. Um, Purdue won against North Carolina state in overtime. They did not handle one very well. I'm glad I did not see this game, but Baylor demolished Villanova. Villanova put up 36 points. I was like, bruh, I thought Villanova would win this. They shot 22% from three. They live and die by the three and 22% from the field. <sighs> coach better get them coached. Uh, but they were led by Justin Moore who had 15 and six. For Baylor, they were led by uh, James Aquino, uh, who had 16, 7, and 5 as the senior from Oakland. And they're starting five. Other than that, uh, Florida got upset by Baylor. Um, Eric Ayala, 19, and 5 for the upset. The Washington-Gonzaga game got canceled. COVID. COVID in sports right now is a motherfucker. I feel like it's the start of the pandemic all over again. I remember watching the Utah Jazz and the Thunder. They were getting ready for tip-off. 20 minutes later, like, what the fuck's going on? It got canceled. The whole world shut down. I'm a little worried with hockey, basketball, football, the shits that's going on. Again, that's why I said I'm kind of happy I'm not in fantasy playoffs because that's going to be a motherfucker. Um, but since then, 
Alabama lost to Memphis. Yep, overrated. Memphis is solid, though, for being an unranked team. Uh, DeAndre Williams, 20 points, 3 rebounds, 6 assists. And Keon Ellis led Bama 19-6. and six. Everyone else expected to win did. Today, Arizona won a big. USC won. Xavier won. Um, oh, that was yesterday. Today's Thursday. And Duke won as expected. How about the fucking local Seattle boy, though, man? Paolo Banchero. Uh, he had 16-6 and six today. So, yeah, we're getting ready for the holidays. Probably not a lot of big action happening, I'm assuming. Yeah, I look at it. There's not a ton. There's some decent games. But getting ready for conference play. College basketball is about to get real. To wrap up the show, Justin Verlander, controversial contract. and said it was official. It wasn't. They rule it being official with the Astros before the deadline. So he gets two years of bucko fucking millions of dollars to stay with the Strohs. In the MLS, two surprise teams. New York City takes on Portland in Portland. Portland fans are throwing fucking cans at the players' faces. I was like, man, you saw this in football. Like This would be national news. That guy would be fucked for life. Uh, but New York City takes the championship in the MLS. And how about Tiger, baby? Tiger's coming back. You know, getting them shots in. He returns to the PNC Championship December 18th. Like he said, he's going to pick and choose his tournaments. But golf is not golf without some Tiger Woods. But that's it. We got business episodes coming up soon. Uh, we're almost at episode 60. Can you believe it? Love it. Had a good time. See you guys next week.